it take you to get to the moon? Four days. But that's pretty fast. See, this is the Saturn IV B booster, and it shoots us away from the Earth as fast as a bullet from a gun until the moon's gravity actually grabs us and pulls us into a circle around the moon, which is called an orbit, right? Fred and I float down the tunnel into this guy, the lunar module, this spidery-looking guy. Only holds two people, and it's just for landing on the moon. And I take the controls, and I steer it around, and I fly it down, adjusting it here, the attitude there, pitch, roll, for a nice, soft landing on the moon. Better than Neil Armstrong. Way better. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. And welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that does, I think, what it says on the tin. It's best film ever. My name is Ian. And I'm Liam. And Liam, let's, I mean, usually we say we go see a lot of films together. I mean, we are recording this on June 29th? 28th. 28th, sorry. June 28th. And I don't know. I mean, it feels like, A, we've been on lockdown forever. But it also feels yeah. like you're hearing all this news about how the theater is going to start to reopen. But I'm just going, I just don't see it happening. Well, I work with a girl um, who works at the local Majestic Cinema. The Majestic and in Kings Lynn. The Majestic Kings Lynn. Love the Majestic we love them. Kings Lynn. Yeah, we do. Uh, I hope they listen one day. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I'll di- them a lot. maybe I'll direct this to their way at some point. Just to say, hey, just, just so you know, we're, we're just talking about you. Yeah. We miss you. Yeah. But you were talking to this girl who you work with. Or, you know, yeah, who Holly. works at Majestic, yeah. Yeah. And um, she was saying that she's going back next week. Okay. Um, Good. And they're going to... They can do a little bit of training on the social distancing and, you know, how they can handle the customers. Are, is there going to be any customers? Yeah. You know, you know, is going to, are they going to be rammed because people haven't been out? Or are they going to be like, no one's here, so what's the point? Well, you know, do they give it another month? You know, so who knows? Not to take us too much into current events, but have you seen what's happened in Florida? No. They, they opened the bars back up. And so many right. people went and went to the bars and whatever that uh, they such a spike as a result of the bars being opened again, they've had to ban all the sale of alcohol in Florida because people just couldn't couldn't acclimatize wow. themselves. So I I hope things go well. I mean, I'm hearing movies are in this country are going to show a lot of old content like Harry Potter and Star Wars and oh, cool, which would be really really cool actually if we could sort it of would, go and yeah. catch some of these like guaranteed just good films and support the local cinema and yada yada yada. And not, and not only that, and it's nice to see a great cast. At the cinema, oh, yeah. Experience. Like, there's some films that I probably never have seen at the cinema, which I would really like to. Like, I've obviously never seen episode four at the cinema. Yeah, A New Hope. So that would be interesting, or or things along that line. You know, those ones that you kind of wish you'd seen, or you you know you haven't yeah. been old enough, or you missed it, or whatever reason it was. So, Absolutely. 
So just, but here we are today, Liam, and this is episode, I want to say 17 of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say the same. All right. They, they, well, we, we do count on you for your technical accuracy on these things. I'm not going to say 13 this time. No. <laughs> with, with, oh, I want to be. With such pride. Because of Apollo 13. Exactly. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, I, I was really thinking, actually, when I was making up a graphic for it, I was like, I should have, if I was thinking, I might have gone ahead and uh, synced those up. It's always, also for Star Wars, I was like, it's episode four, but it wasn't our episode four. I was like, this is confusing. Yeah. This is really kind of confusing. But... Um, yeah, so uh, so seventeen uh, episodes in, I think you and I just need to go ahead and say thank you again. If this is the first time someone's listening to us, or if this yeah. is the seventeenth time someone's listening to us, uh, we really couldn't be more thankful. I don't know if it's something I said, Liam, but we ended up as a top fifty podcast in Canada after last week. I think I went Canada, blah. <laughs> I left. You're not getting me back. We're a top fifty podcast in Canada, so I'm thinking. Oh, fantastic! So I'm like, okay, Canada, go ahead and play that all the more if that's what you want. Shout out to a whole country. How about that? Absolutely. On that note, a couple more shout outs. Uh, Dwayne Smith, who got a hold of me and said, "I haven't seen Apollo 13. Should I still listen to the podcast?" <laughs> I went, <laughs> "If you do, love it. But really, uh, go see Apollo 13. It's it's not a bad film. There's a reason why we chose it." And it's based on truth. It's so, based on truth. Actually, yeah. it's remarkably that there's, there's a lot true about yeah. this film. I was surprised how yeah. little Hollywood there was in it. I think also another big thank you to Lee slash Lestat, not only for <laughs> uh, picking Fight Club for a couple of weeks ago, but he sent me a whole thing on his Tom Cruise movie theory as well. So uh, it's oh, good lad. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Uh, also, just a couple Love of him. shout outs to. Um, a couple other podcasts who have been sort of reaching out. Chuck goes to the movies. Uh, they've been reaching out and sort of bigging us up, and I think likewise they do some good work there. And WebFame, a little podcast out of Canada, looking at some YouTubers, were in contact and wanted to say a big shout out and thank you very much. And yeah, thank you. I'd be remiss, Liam. Um, you're not part of it, but we do a little side project. You've been on it before, called Talking yeah. the Mickey. Uh, yeah. Available wherever you get fine podcast, uh, fine podcasts from wherever that might be. And uh, the Talking the Mickey podcast was named Film Stories British Movie Podcast of the Week, which was quite exciting considering it's been less That's than brilliant. yeah it's been less than three months and they went ahead and, uh, and and they featured a lovely little write up on us which was very very nice so uh oh, brilliant. If, yeah if anybody hasn't caught up on talking to mickey or you're not aware of it just go ahead and uh, check it out there's some good stuff there and some more crossovers i think due to happen in the not too distant future some films well, like that... to get on, um... well absolutely if it can work into your schedule buddy we can absolutely make that happen so um, one last thing. We talked a little while ago, Liam, about Back to the Future and The Breakfast Club and which one was actually the quintessential movie of the 80s. And I even yeah. put a poll out. And in the poll, I was thoroughly beaten when Back to the Future beat Breakfast Club by about a two-to-one margin. However, Liam, if you look at the downloads for those two episodes, The yeah. Breakfast Club is our, our most downloaded review we've ever done. Ahead, oh, second wow. place is Back to the Future. So it's oh. very, very interesting to see kind of how that goes. So if you're really a big Back to the Future believer and you haven't downloaded that episode, why not go ahead and level up the scales there? Because, because <laughs> right now, I think the numbers are speaking in my favor, just to, just, just saying. But I will say, Lee, but I've been looking at some data and going, people really are engaging with our reviews from the 80s and the 90s, but they are big sort of sellers, if you will, are, are the, not that we're getting any money for it, but <laughs> the 80s <laughs> and the 90s. And I think it speaks to the power and nostalgia and going, I, 
I like to talk about these things that we all kind of hold dear to our to our universal upbringing. I think when you get to my age and your age, we're kind of going, there's certain movies that we, most of us have seen and we're going, yeah. and when you watch it, when you watch Days of Thunder, you know, I'm, I'm 10, 11 years, years old again, right? Same. And yeah. uh, I remember, I don't remember Back to the Future when it came out, but I remember number two when it came out. That was the big one for me. I can't remember number two coming out, but I remember number three coming out. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't remember... I remember the hoverboard like crazy. Like that was absolutely, I was all over that. Um, And so, you know, those are, those have done well. And our episode on fight club from the nineties did very well. And we are going back to 1995. Actually not like we're in 1995. We're not back in 1995 (laughs) because uh, fight club was 99. Die hard was 95, but we were going back to 95 for Apollo 13. But before we get into that, usually this is where we introduce our two perma guests, and one of our perma guests isn't so perma. She's not here. <laughs> oh. You 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 did know this, but we turned on the mic. I know, I know. Everybody at home's going. Liam doesn't know. No, Liam does know. <laughs> he's just a fine it's actor. Jordan's not. It's just sad that George's not here. It is sad. George's got a very fun job sometimes, where she does outdoor education and does a lot of cool stuff with uh, I don't know, ha- you know, wandering through the wilderness and you know. Maybe it's her own apocalypse now experience. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as a result, she's in this two-day training session. Couldn't make it, and that's okay. We uh, we we definitely miss having the fourth voice around the table. But we still have we perma guest the number one, which is Ellie. Say, oh, say hello, Ellie. Hello, Ellie. There we go. That's Debbie's joke. <laughs> well done. Uh, and so we are here to talk about Apollo 13, all the way back in 1995, and it released on June 30th. 1995 and i believe tuesday will be june 30th yeah 2020 so we will release this 25 years to the day of its north american debut uh, you'd almost think i planned that <laughs> i know right <laughs> um we were talking a little bit before we got started liam about, about about the space program and kind of what that meant and i think we came to the conclusion that it's not as it doesn't feel as big anymore as it once no. did like when you and I were kids, I think the idea about being an astronaut was right up there, like being a fireman or all the other kind of cool jobs you had, because it was very much still yeah. in the public eye. Of course, yeah, yeah. Because you know, if you think we were born what, late seventies, early eight, I mean, Apollo thirteen was nineteen seventy, seventy, yes, seventy, yeah. So that's only ten years different. So they still have an um, space program. I mean, still fresh in our mind. I believe eighty four is the Challenger shuttle explosion. Oh, really? So, like, but yeah, I, mean, I, rem- I remember that. I don't remember that. I remember seeing it in textbooks years later. But I mean, this is I still this is still within our lifetime. You know, yeah. I can't tell you when the last big deal in Canada we had a slight renaissance when the Canadarm went up, and that was a big deal for us. Was that NASA was really, we we had a piece of the space shuttle was this arm that was built in Canada that was oh, that's kind of what we do, America. You built the shuttle. We'll, we'll, We'll do this one really cool arm thing, and that's what we will contribute <laughs> to it. And I think we had the first female astronaut or the first female captain or something like that. Some woman named R- Roberta Bondar. She was a big deal. But it was like these little moments. But the space program as a whole, did, I think kind of – once the Cold War is over, actually, I think it is, Liam, that idea of got to beat the Russians and, and, and that kind of meant where sports and the space program and all these things became like artificial war zones. We need to win this. I think something. I also want of... to point out here: all those people out there that are skeptical that we actually landed on the moon <laughs> is rubbish. The eyes of the world is watching. There, and it, do you think Russia would go? 
oh yeah, you know, they didn't make it. No, <laughs> they wouldn't. <laughs> the rumor is that actually it was shot in a uh, film, uh, a television studio in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I believe I've heard my stepfather actually state this as like something that he's every now and then he goes, they shot it in Hamilton. And I'm like, <laughs> and so uh, there's a great web series called Adam Ruins Everything. And he actually goes ahead and sci- kind of like Mythbusters in a sense. And he like tackles what would have to happen in order for them to fake a moon landing. And it's actually more hard work to fake the moon landing (laughs) than it is to put a man on the moon because the sort of lighting you would need to replicate those photographs did not exist and wouldn't exist for, and so many people would have had to swear to secrecy and it was just nuts. But I think it's because it feels so, so crazy, so, so foreign, so remote. How is it even possible? And that's kind of Apollo 13. Uh, it's a, a good setup anyway. So uh, Apollo 13, directed by Ron Howard, mm-hmm. who was originally famous for playing uh, Opie on The Andy Griffith Show, and then he was Richie Cunningham on Happy Days. Yeah. Happy Days was that's his favorite here. Is that how you know? Ron Howard calls this the favorite movie he's ever directed. Oh, really? It's his favorite. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully shot, I have to say. It's... it's it's an absolute feat for 1995 filmmaking. This yeah. movie looks the way it does. Uh, in order to do this, they built two command modules and two lunar modules from scratch with painstaking detail to make them look as, as, as proper as possible, but with like different walls removed so they could film mm-hmm. from that angle because that's a pretty yeah. tight space. They do one with like oh. the left wall gone mm. and one with like the right wall gone. Which these are the things you yeah. don't think about. We just sort of see the finished product and we don't go, what actually consists yeah, of this? that's really interesting, actually. Um, they also built their own mission control. NASA offered them to have their mission control, but um, Ron Howard wanted his own. But the... Because <laughs> this is the kind of thing you can do when you're a director and have hundreds of millions of dollars oh in your budget. Oh, my goodness. And it was said, because they had to... They brought in some guys from NASA as, like, um, um, consultants for the film. Yeah, And yeah. the one guy said it was so realistic, he would leave at the end of the day and go looking for the elevator. But because it wasn't the real one, <laughs> there's no elevator. It's on the ground floor. <laughs> but he went, yeah. he said, at the end of the day, I was so tired. I would just naturally, I was there. I totally bought into the idea this was the real deal. Um, one of the concerns that Howard had before they started filming was how do you simulate weightlessness? How are you going to film I know, this? I know this. Okay. They do it in an airplane. They do do an airplane. Um, and uh, and they do it by um, going so high, and then they they drop the plane like it's fallen out of the sky. Yeah. So you're falling together. Yeah. But only for like a few minutes or something. You get like yeah. and twenty three then... seconds or thirty five, like some yeah, small yeah, number like that. Yeah. And um, so he um, Howard gave Spielberg a call, and Spielberg says, "There's this plane, the, the KC one thirty five, and if you take that, you can simulate these weightlessness kind of ideas." And they go, oh, okay. And so the three astronauts, Bacon, uh, Paxton, and Hanks, go into this plane, which was nicknamed the Vomit Comet. Oh, I can imagine. And so they go up there, and the three of them were very proud that they never threw up as a result. The cameramen could not brag the same. <laughs> I think you have to consider, like, I mean, if you're the actor, you're floating. But if you're the the cameraman, you've got all that. Plus, you have to like have your eye through this lens yeah. and be like trying to situate it. I mean, it's just that's just a whole another level of difficulty. I think. I know, right? Yeah. Oh. 
And so there's that. Um, it does very, very well at the box office. It makes $355 million. Wow. Uh, it was nominated for nine Oscars. Uh, two of the actors are nominated for best uh, for best actor, supporting actor, supporting actor, support, uh, best actor, whatever it is. Maybe we'll leave that to the end before I tell you which two it is. Because there's some heavy okay. hitters in this film. Uh, it also is nominated for best picture, but it would lose that to Braveheart. Oh, okay. yeah, understand. It does win best editing and I think best sound effects or something like that. It wins two mm-hmm. Oscars, but it's nominated for nine. The AFI lists Houston We Have a Problem as one of its top 100 quotes of all time. They also call it the number 12 most inspirational film. So that kind of brings us to the start. Um, and we I'll, get tell the- I, I'll tell you what else I heard. You know um, James Horner did the music? Uh, yes, I was about to talk about him, yeah. Well, um, did you not hear the beginnings of Titanic coming through? <laughs> I heard elements of Titanic and I heard elements of The Last Post. Yeah, yeah. In that way. Yeah, actually, this but, might be. He got nominated for best score, so I can't really give. I wasn't a fan of the music in this one. Maybe I, I felt I like I heard it. it before. Did you? Okay, excellent. Uh, Ellie, yeah. some thoughts on the score? I can't say I particularly noticed it. To I, be honest, I just noticed that. I mean, there's a lot of trumpets, which are good for the majesty of the space program, right? Like if you want yeah. to get it across, and there's a lot of solo trumpets, and maybe yeah. that's to get the idea of the the impending, you know. So close to the, to, 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 the, to the last post, maybe it's yeah. to like foreshadow the, or give a sense of foreboding, if you will. The only time I like particularly paid attention to the music or noticed it was at the start when you've got like the opening sequence and stuff. And that was definitely very reminiscent of the last post. I did notice that. Yeah. But when we were actually immersed in the film, I must have been too immersed. Okay. And so the film opens to the score and we have some narration and it's actually done by Walter Cronkite, who you guys might not know, but he was a big deal. He was like America's, he was like America's number one, we would call it a news anchor. What would you call it? A lead presenter of the news? What do you call a person who hosts the news? Um, newsreader? Newsreader. Yeah. Okay. He'd be like America's leading newsreader at the time. He was a legend in and of his own right. And he even, Ron Howard got him to record extra audio for this. So although oh, wow. most of this is like legit news footage, which helps. I think it's a really interesting choice. Let's use yeah. news footage of the time, and it grounds you in that time frame. But we start, and it's July 1969, and it's the Apollo... Is it 11? 11? Apollo 11. Yeah. And it's a party, and the party is happening at Captain Jim Lovell's house. Lowell's house? Lowell? Lovell? Lovell. Lovell. Lovell's house. And you find out that they were the backup crew for Apollo 11. So if things had gone differently, they would have been the first ones on the moon. And we get introduced to our lead character here, Tom Hanks as Jim Lovell. Um, interestingly enough, maybe, uh, this the, the screenplay was written with someone else in mind to play Jim Lovell. And he might be, Liam, the only person who would have been a bigger movie star than Tom Hanks in 1995. Can you guess who it might have been? Who owned the early 90s in Hollywood? Actor and director. Mel Gibson? Not Mel Gibson. Good shout. Maybe not. Mel Gibson was more of your action star, though. And he was doing Braveheart, so maybe not not, not that. But Because um, oh. Braveheart's really when Gibson steps it up and becomes like a guy who does epics. Who yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of did epics five years beforehand. Epics like the... Clint Eastwood? Un- nope. That, a little bit too old. Epics oh. like The Untouchables? Epics like... Dances with Wolves? 
Oh, really? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner was who it was written with in mind. Oh, wow. But someone figured out that Tom Hanks was a massive space and Apollo film buff. Not film buff, uh, space program buff. <laughs> he knew about space. And yeah. so Howard has a meeting with him and Hanks takes the part in the meeting. And the real Jim Lovell sends him a message and says, welcome aboard Apollo 13. Once he takes the role, which I thought That's was really adorable. And there's a lot of cool stuff with Jim Lovell in this thing. Like he just seems like he's a real like class act. And so we find out uh, from this opening session that Tom Hanks is there um, as, what, as, as the captain, Jim Lovell. He's all right. He's got drinks. He's one, and it, they're all talking kind of industry shop. They're not as, imp- it seems they're impressed, but not as impressed with, with the space landing as everybody else because they know these people, right? Yeah, yeah. Like this is like, and then they're making that talk like, oh, better watch out for the uh, people who have intimate knowledge. Although it does get quiet when they do walk on the moon. Do you know what do you love about this scene? Though? What's that? There's no animosity. There's no... no, it's really good natured. It's really good natured. Yeah. yeah. And we also meet Gary Sinise's character, Bill Paxton's character. But before that, we meet Kevin Bacon's character, who's a bit creepy. Is he the one talking <laughs> about the probe? He's the one who's got like a beer bottle and a glass. Yeah. And is kind yeah. of talking space talk, but really it's all a euphemism for, for yeah. sex. Or in yeah. And you're kind of going, this is going to be this guy's character, isn't it? He's the, he's, the, he's the bachelor who's just using this to pick up chicks, the whole film. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, but it's clear he's the one who doesn't belong. And we clearly, but, but we do get a focus on him. And then we get Gary Sinise. And Gary Sinise and Tom Hanks, of course, had worked together before in 1994's Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they? It's Gary Sinise as Lieutenant Dan. And there's this. So once Tom Hanks had signed on, they said to Gary Sinise, or Sinise, I don't know how you put it, maybe it's Sinise. Uh, I say Sinise. Sinise, but... you, it probably is Sinise. You can choose whatever part you want now. Now that Tom's got the really? lead, what do you want to play? And he said, I want to be, um, I want to be Ken Mattingly. Ken. I want to be the guy who fixes it. I want to be the guy who brings him home. That's who I want to be. And it seems like most of the actors kind of looked like their counterparts, except for Gary Sinise, because the real Ken Matt- Mattingly was bald. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> and not quite this kind of rugged good looks that Gary Sinise has throughout. And then Bill Paxton, uh, his role actually is quite interesting in that his role was offered to John Cusack and Charlie Sheen, who both turned it down. How's that working? I think he did Paxton. He's a big enough star that he belongs. But he's the ordinary one of the bunch. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. just a family man, right? Yeah. So, And the one thing is, one other actor was offered a part, and I'm convinced it has to be Kevin Bacon's role as uh, Jack Swaggart. And that is Brad Pitt was offered a role. I couldn't find out which one, but it came up multiple times. You've got to think that he chose to do seven instead, which if, I, if I'm for being honest with you, that's the right call for him. He got to be the yeah. lead in seven. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, you've got to think he'd be the he he's the pretty boy, right? Yeah. He's the bachelor. He'd have been cool in that part. He he would have been cool in that part, and you could have gone maybe a little less creepy and a little bit more dashing in that regard. Yeah. Because Brad Pitt's like effortlessly I can't never say that word correctly. Effortlessly. <laughs> Does it take you a lot of effort? It, yeah, <laughs> ironically it is. But he's just like without without thinking about it, he just kinda of like oozes charm. 
Whereas it feels like Kevin Bacon's working at it. Yeah. So the party happens, and then there's a lovely scene when they're outside, and Tom Hanks lifts his thumb up, and he covers the moon, and he uncovers it, and covers it, and his wife comes out, uh, Marilyn, played by Kathleen Quinlan, and um, there's a nice moment, but he goes, can you think about this? Who's on the moon right now? Right? We've got Neil Armstrong, sorry, Chris Columbus. Oh, he's trying to name, like, big pioneers in, in, in sort of uh, yeah, expedition. And it's Chris Columbus, Charles Lindbergh, and he goes, and Neil Armstrong. And to us, we're going, <laughs> Neil Armstrong. But to him, it's just Neil, the guy I work with. Which is a really yeah. interesting idea to have this guy whose name is revered and go, and Neil. He can't believe his friend, his colleague, is now a name in history. Yeah. Crazy. It is crazy. Well, he's very normalized later on in the film as well, isn't very he? Very normalized. They're both like, just hanging around in the house watching the TV with them. And the one thing that was interesting uh, is... When they're back in the party and they're watching the landing and the guy steps foot on the moon, you hear the newscast and you hear everybody else's voice, but the camera just slowly zooms into Tom Hanks's face. And for all of his bravado, you get that longing that he wants to mm-hmm. be there. And he was the backup. He was close. And, um, and then if I go back to the scene outside in the back garden, which is him and Marilyn, there's a sweet moment as they're looking up in the moon and she can't find her mountain, Mount Marilyn. And there's a nice little sweet back and forth between them. And I think, Liam, this is important for later in the film. You need to see them having this nice moment between them. You've got to believe yeah. it. You do. And a lot of films would just bypass us and go, well, it's the wife. Clearly, clearly you understand yeah. this. But I thought that was a really important little scene to have. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree as well. I think it kind of shows her as as having this well obviously a a loving bond with him and she is such a sort of stoic character through the the rest of the film and you know she obviously has moments where she gets upset but she's always trying to hold it together for the sake of the children and stuff so to see their actual relationship and understand how they work as a couple i think it was quite important yeah and then we cut to october 30th 1969 and jim's a tour guide he's just a really high-priced tour guide (laughs) Walker and somebody else about the other shuttles. And we find out that he's going to be on Apollo 14, not Apollo 13. And someone asks, why keep going now that we've beaten the Russians to it? And it's a really hard question. And he goes, well, what if Columbus had said, you know, no need to go anymore back to the New World? Well, yeah, but the New World had stuff. You know what I mean? The New World had resources and ability to like, it's not a bad question. Once you're there, why keep going? So you get the idea that the clock is ticking on the space program. And he's desperate to get back. It's a race against time. Mm. Uh, and then we cut to home. And, oh, because he's, he's pulled aside first. Uh, this guy who runs the the, uh, the program, I forget what his name is now. Deke. Deke, that's it, Deke. Deke says, can I have a moment? And we don't get the conversation. We just get him bursting through the door, which is a really clever choice, I thought, by Ron Howard. To just go ahead and burst through the door instead. And mm. we get the excitement something's happened, and it turns out that someone has an ear infection. And as a result of the ear infection, like, they've got six months to, like, oh, how bad is this I did not understand this. I did not get this. Is this part true? It, it's true that they got bumped up. So I guess it would be, but unless these ear infections are chronic. Yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't quite understand that when they said the six months part. And then the question is, is Apollo 13 unlucky? Because Marilyn thinks 13's unlucky. 
And it's just, it's just the number. It's what comes after 12. That's all it is. It's interesting that they choose... I mean, did they go on the 11th of that hour? I mean, 13th hour, the 13th day and all that. Did they actually do that? The 13th hour of a 13th day? They say the, they, they said the 13th, yeah. Oh, did they? In the film, 13th hour of the 13th day. Oh, I missed that. Was that him when he's getting the, doing that interview? Is he, is he just being a little bit glib? I don't know, but I looked at it and thought, why would you do that? Because there is... That feels, that. Like it's, that feels like you're tempting fate a bit. I mean... Yeah. I'm yeah, not, yeah, because, I'm not um, that super... Well, I'm a little bit superstitious. They say, but... they say about crunching numbers, don't they? Yeah. And, um, and they say, yeah, they've worked it all out with the 13s and everything. He said, as <laughs> long as it's not Friday the 13th. I remember that part. Okay, yeah, yeah. I do remember yeah. that part. And so we cut to them doing... Because the, they have six months, so they're going to spend all their time in the simulators. And the crew is a, is, is a clean... Like firing group. This is a group of three who clearly know how to work together, and there's good camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And um, as they leave the um, simulator after hours, I think it was like three or four hours. They said they were in the simulator for four hours of of waiting for seven minutes of excitement or seven seconds of excitement or however he phrased it. Mm-hmm. And we see Kevin Bacon's on the backup team as they go on, and then Gary Sinise's character Mattingly goes, "Guys, I really want to try that again." <laughs> kind of going. Guy, we just we just got out of there. Like after we've just heard how boring this was, and he goes, "I know, but I really want to do this again." And this is where we get that Mattingly is the detail oriented one. He's gonna do it right. This is his role. And they go, but there's no there's no resentment. They go, "All right, we're going back in." Yeah, and it's clearly established who the A team is and who the B team is. And we don't know any of the rest of the B team. We just know about Jack Swagger. Uh. And then what do you think about this? There was this dream sequence that Marilyn has mm-hmm. where she imagines the shuttle, like not the shuttle, it's not a shuttle. She imagines the rocket like blowing up or like, you know, them getting sucked out into space. Now, Ellie, you hadn't seen the film before, right? No. So what were you thinking was happening here? Did you get it was a dream sequence or do you think they just kind of... Um, I was a little bit confused, to be honest, because we knew they'd kind of just gone back into the simulator. So you sort of knew that it wasn't real but then you know they were actually being sucked out into space rather than just like you know opening a door and going oh well I guess we failed guys so it was a little bit weird um and I thought it was quite impactful when we when she woke up from the dream Liam I actually thought it was Tom Hanks dream <laughs> I didn't think that was her I see I did wonder I did wonder and then I thought it doesn't ma- yeah. it doesn't match with his character though he's like fearless in this He's so singularly yeah, minded in his pursuit can, of the moon. He, he, you can be fearless in front of other people, but you can still have your own doubts. Yeah, and I thought that was probably him having his own doubts. Uh, that's based, that scene, she really did have a bad dream about that. But oh, she okay. had the bad dream back during the Apollo 8 mission, not during the uh, Apollo 13 mission. Uh, so a little bit of creative license used. Yeah. Uh, and then we do find out that there is a nice scene between... Uh, Jim and his son about a previous mission where there was a fire and everything that went wrong in causing this fire. And Tom goes, well, Tom. Um, Jim. Jim, thank you. Um, I was going to call him Lee for some reason. Um, <laughs> there's no shout out for, for Lee Lestat there. Lestat. <laughs> um, goes ahead and goes, a lot of things went wrong there and we fixed it. Yeah, yeah we, we fixed it. And you realize how much of a razor's edge something like building a rocket is because mm. your margin for error is so slight. 
as we find out, like all the things that will happen as a result of a small thing going wrong. But credit to Jim, um, Tom Hanks' character, yeah. for actually confronting the question. And being I'd honest. Like he... Being really yeah, being honest, honest, yeah. Yeah. He didn't say, oh, no, no, it wasn't that big. Oh, no, no, he went, the problem was the door. And he just, he, he doesn't go graphic with it, but he absolutely shoots no. straight with the kid. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I do too. And then we find out two days before, whoever the alternate was for the flight has the measles. And as a result, they want to pull everybody from the mission. Then we find out, well, no, actually, we only need to pull anybody who hasn't had the measles before. And so as a result, that means Ken can't go to space. And um, it's, it's Jim who lets him down and tells him. It's a nice little scene, just the three of them, and amongst the sort of simulators and stuff. And goes, and he goes, I'm not sick. And he goes, we'll, we'll go upstairs and we'll fix this. Because the deal is, if you... Now, how do we feel about this? If you can't go... If, if you're in a fight for Ken, none of you get to go to the moon. And they, and they don't back him up. They do sell him down the river. But that could also be your last time as well, no matter how much you're promised. Don't know. Absol- the- and that's the question. It, you know, how do we feel? Does... Does Jim do the right thing? I, I don't. I mean, the movie tells us to forgive him pretty quickly, but 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 should we? It was. I like... think so because at the end of the day, um, you're there to, to do a mission. You're there to do a job. Yeah. You're not there to go up there with your mates. Yeah. And if the shoe was on the other foot, Ken, I believe, would have done it. I mean, because you don't want to endanger other people while you're up there, so you don't want to be ill while you're up there. Um, got to be on your best mind, senses, and everything. You got to be on top notch. And if you're not going to be on top of up there, then you're the one letting through down. And as we found so out, you'd... yeah, Sorry. go on. And as we found out during the party, Jim is the best. Like we had that conversation between Ken and oh, what was the other guy's name? Uh, uh, something Miles, whatever his name was. Bill Paxton's character. And they go, yeah. How do you get Fred. his Fred? I just wanted to go on this mission because he is the best, and that was all it really sort of took. So. Yeah. Ellie, do you have something to say there? Yeah, the, the bit that I didn't really understand was this idea that obviously Ken was the best man for the mission and they were really close to doing it and then suddenly they're going to draft someone in at the last minute. It sounds dangerous. Well, that's why you have two teams, and, though. But they hadn't... I mean, Jim was really worried when it was announced because they hadn't trained with him and they weren't as in sync with him. And it's like, suddenly you're going to do this flip-flop just because you want to go to the moon. Like, is Surely your safety is more important. But apparently I don't not. think I don't think it was about Ken being the best. He was, he. I think I believe he was the best at it. But there are other people like Ian said. Um, you have backup to be as, just as equally as good. Um, but I think the problem is with Jim. He wanted the synchronicity of knowing how others think in dangerous situations. And there yeah. was it was that bit where he went, A, it's the mutual trust, right? The idea yeah. that we're, and secondly, like we can read each other's tones of voice, like that thing that exactly. happens and only experience counts for that. Yeah. Now, I did find out in my research that the idea that Jack Swigert was some wet behind the ears rookie who no one trusted was absolutely just like a Hollywood subplot. They mm-hmm. all trusted, like some of the protocols in that book, in the book they would have been doing, like were written by Jack Swigert. Like he, he was very highly regarded. Okay. Well, there we are. Then. Well, that but, makes more sense. But then, it's a yeah. much, but it's not, it's not nearly as interesting in, in the movie. You need a subplot, and that was a good one you could sort of pull on. So, um, and so Ken leaves though and says, "I don't have the measles. I don't have them. I won't have them." 
And so uh, we find, I mean, then we find out, I didn't mention this, how Swigert finds out that he's going. And he's in the shower with some other girl again. And he comes on out in the towel and finds out and kind of goes, woo! And then we juxtapose that with Ken finding out he's not going. I don't have the measles. I won't get the measles. And he even says, well, it's going to be a hell of a mission. One for the books. And so much of this movie, I think, is based around the idea that most of the audience in 1995 knows that Apollo 13 legitimately happens. And they know that it's like a cursed mission in and of it. Like, they know that it goes wrong. Yeah. And so when we get all these little nudges about, oh, 13 isn't that unlucky. No, it's just the number. We're going, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Oh, this would be a great mission. One for the books. We're going, well, you're not wrong. (laughs) But... Because I remember at the time watching it, and, and I remember knowing a lot about it. So yeah, yeah. Now whether that was part of the, I mean, because obviously when you go through the the promotion for a film, all sorts of stuff get run, and you're on talk shows, and you know the news is doing entertainment section. And you sort of fall, and these things sort of come out. I don't know if it was that, or if I actually knew about Apollo 13, or if I just picked it up through the chatter that was happening in various forms of of, of the media about the film. But we cut back to the simulator because we've got to get him up to speed. And, and Tom Hanks tells us, we will be there. It's in two days. We will be ready. And they're running the simulation. And Jack can't do it. And he, he flubs it up. And everybody's getting frustrated. But we're told by someone, hey, relax. Even Ken didn't get it this first time. But they're trying to get us to go. Jack's not as good. Boy, don't we wish we could have Ken there instead. I have a fact check corner. Okay. I have done some delving into the ear infection issue. Oh, excellent. And um, so it, it was actually an inner ear problem that was um, diagnosed as Meniere's disease. I don't know if I've pronounced that oh, yeah, properly. Yeah. Um, so it had to be surgically corrected. Um, and he was returned to flight status after five years. But obviously, they, they, it ne- needed time to to fix it. So that's that's why he was bumped from the mission and the others were bumped up. Okay. And then oh, we good. Then we go to the eve of the mission, and we have this like social distanced goodbye. Yeah, where like they like stop the kid from running over because you might get your germs on daddy. And it's I'm felt like, a bit close to home, didn't it? It did feel a bit close to home. <laughs> and although this does happen, this doesn't. This tradition didn't happen until after the shuttle era. So it's a modern thing that was invented after Apollo 13. But it was a oh, nice. Okay. Ex- but it was a nice excuse to get the, the two wives to sort of talk to each other. Mm. And and just kind of get that idea of there's a bit of a camaraderie. Also, we get this idea that um, Marilyn had told Jim she won't come to the launch because she's done it three times already. She can't do it a fourth time. And then she shows up, and it's really that's really touching. And I don't know if anybody else noticed. Did you notice that Jack Swigert was looking around, almost like he yep. wanted someone to be there? Yeah. Well, it, it no, was, I didn't. And there was a little bit of a message almost from Howard saying that Playboy lifestyle, it has limitations to it. Yeah, exactly. That's really sad. Exactly. Especially if you think about the character he clashes with throughout this film. I mean, there's two very different sides of a coin here, aren't there? Yeah. So, Family man and then a bachelor. Exactly. And then we find out, we, we cut to Marilyn's having a shower. There's a lot of showers in this film early on, mm-hmm. I felt. I'm like, okay. And... um Marilyn's wedding ring comes off and goes down the drain. And there are some people who hated this and thought it was so hokey, but it's legitimately true, kind of, (laughs) kind of. The ring comes off, but it was caught in the drain. 
There's like a little drain guard. It is caught. It doesn't go down. But there are people who thought that's just too hokey. It's too much of an omen that things are going to go wrong. What actually did happen? Wow. But not, but not only that, we never get told that she finds that's a really interesting point, and I didn't think enough to look for the wedding ring later on in the film to see if it was still. And on I just finger. thought that was a bit of a, a scene that didn't really need. I would agree with you in that. I think there's elements of there's scenes with Marilyn for Marilyn's sake, and yeah. I don't know if this without a payoff or even coming back to it in any capacity. I don't know what the point of that is. Besides, it's another know. omen. I completely disagree. Okay, go ahead. I, I thought those little scenes were really good. I thought they were character building, and it just added to the to the film massively for me that you had that personality back at home and the the weight that he has in terms of like he has something to come back for and you're really rooting for him to come back he's not just some guy that might die in space and it would be sad but you know never mind these things happen it's he needs to come home because he has got a family that loves him we we're rooting for him anyway it's just a scene it's just that one scene that has no payoff you don't see her find it. If she found it, I can understand it. Why but she need don't, to find you don't it? see her find it. I think it's sadder just, if she just, doesn't just find it. Just reference it again, though. Like, okay, if in one of the scenes when, when, when he's flying, you saw her, like, rubbing her finger where the ring yeah. had been, at, yeah. least then there's a, at least then you, you've connected it to the rest of the film. Besides, you, know you, I mean, you may as well have it all. Everything's going to be all right. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. It's basically all it was, isn't it? Yeah. I just thought it was really well done. But, I mean, I do agree that a little rubbing the finger kind of scene later on would be good yeah um and then we costume up and they're in their spacesuits these spacesuits everybody cost thirty thousand dollars a piece they weighed 180 pounds and they actually had real oxygen being pumped into the into the helmets oh so when you see them having to get help to get up and their arms are out like that yeah 180 pounds yeah I, i could use some help too i think yeah god bless you but I'll tell you what, whenever you have that walk in, in the space suits up to the, the shuttle, I can't help but compare every one of those to Armageddon. I know, right? Because <laughs> Armageddon had that scene down. They did, Maybe they? it's because they were orange suits, but it's just that, that majesty of, of walking towards the shuttle. Yes. You know, also in that scene where they're, they're putting the suits on and um, Kevin Bacon's character, um, and the guy puts his helmet on, he goes, have you got enough air? Is that all right for you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I wonder if that was real. I don't know. I don't think it was because he says, I'm going to give those boys a beautiful ride. And they go, sure you will, Jack. And, and then as soon as he put the helmet on and the guy walks away, you see the fear on his face. And then have you got enough air? I think it's because he's like hyper, like he's, he's just anxious and he's starting to like, he's just breathing. He looks like he's in distress. So they're going, he's no. not getting enough air. I'm thinking, was that real in real life? You said they actually yeah, 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 real yeah. air into them. Was he actually saying to him in real life, I, you know, do you have enough air? I, I could see that. I I think I'm choosing to interpret it as he's he's cocky, but he's but but it's a, it's a mirage. It's when the guy seems like he's got it all together and he doesn't. Yeah. Fake it till oh, you make it, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember once when I went for an audition for a singing competition back in Canada and I was going before the TV cameras for the first time. I've been through two days or whatever. And they went, are you, re- are you ready? And I went, oh, I'm, bo- yeah, I'm born ready or something like that. <laughs> and I couldn't have been any more scared. But <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to front that I'm really cool with this. And so much of that, because we see him even when he's getting ready and they're strapped in, he looks nervous. He looks scared. The other two don't. But, but Jack always looks a little bit a little bit uneasy 
And so and he's the only one who hasn't been up though. The others have been up, been on. I don't remember. That's his first time, isn't it? I don't remember. Oh, what's the guy's name? It's not Ken. Ken's the guy I can't go. What's what's Bill Paxton's character's name? Fred. Fred. I don't remember Fred. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But um, I just feel like they had more experience. Yes, absolutely. And there is that idea that he's the new guy. He's the guy replacing their buddy. He's the one they don't. I mean, that's got to be weird. You're the guy yeah. you know they don't want to be there. And so then we have a series of, I've just called it shuttle porn because it's just, it's a wonderful sequence. And Ron Howard calls it the most cinematic thing he's ever shot. And I think, yeah, for, for, for 1995, pretty damn good. Pretty yeah, damn good. I, uh, I thought it was really, really effective. Do you, Do you know when it's, nice it's actually... touch? When it's actually taking off, yeah. So what was that? You know, it was a nice little touch. You know um, when Ken is beside his car, wait, watching the launch? Yes. Mm. The actual car um, that you see, the Corvette, was uh, um, only made for Ash. Oh, was it really? Yeah. There was... But I think it was only made for, like, Apollo 11 or okay. 13. I'm not 100% sure, so, but they were made, especially Apollo Corvettes. I'll say, I'll I think there's only, there only three ever made. I'll say, I'll say this. this. These astronauts had nice cars. They did. Because cause Jim had a nice car, too, even though he couldn't drive that it. That was also a Corvette, wasn't it? Yeah. And it red was just, it was this lovely red Corvette, yeah. And it stalls out, and it's just more, well, it's the second time it's happened. You're like, okay, we, we, we get it. It's, it's more for, foreboding that things are going to go wrong. There's going to be a mechanical failure, maybe with the engine. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, enter Gene. And Gene is played by Ed Harris, who's... I love Ed Harris, just in general. I do. Yeah. And uh, he's got this lovely white vest that apparently his wife had stitched him by hand and had it sent to Cape Canaveral, not Cape Canaveral, to Houston. And um, also in the background, I, I don't know what his full name is, but there's Ron Howard's brother there somewhere. Clint. Clint Howard, Clint yes. Howard. yes. He actually has a big part in the beginning of it. He's the one who's doing the, the talking about, you know, this is my data, this is yes. what you need to go with. Yeah. And then he kind of fades out yeah. in the movie. I think because and different people had to have that, because he couldn't be the guy who rescues everything. So about four or five characters come and go into different sort of, moments where they get to be the expert like like the young guy who shows up later who says it's not about oxygen it's not about water it's about power that's the most important thing so um and then we have a blast off and all the close-ups on the three astronauts to show their reactions to the wives all that sort of thing i will say this when ken's in the field with his car the only thing about this film that dates it is there is some very bad green screen when the shuttle's taking off and he's watching it. And they try to disguise it by shaking the camera a bit from that perspective. Yeah. But I'm like, that's still... A f- no, it's 95. I will give you this. But I was just like, oh. Because if that happened today, it would be such a clean CGI shot. Yeah, Liam. There's also um, a bit with the two wives when um, Fred's wife is crying her heart out and um, Jim's wife is smiling but crying and i think with her it's more like the takeoff was okay didn't explode yeah you know and it's and it's always that worry is every time she goes what's gonna happen and how do you get used to that you probably can't yeah exactly 
but she's still smiling and you get the two contrasts of them yeah you know the first timer and the mm-hmm. third timer it's probably something to do actually with a message of just you know what does it mean to be young and going through things for the first time and then she thinks the older she uh, the young one thinks Marilyn's not sweating it and it's the idea of it no no i still get affected i've just maybe we just learn as a society when you as you age to mask your fears better i think she says to her something along the lines of i worry every day until he's home until he's back or he's worry every moment on the ground or something yeah. like that yeah yeah because they're both crying yeah you can see they're both crying you've got one's more visibly crying yeah, than the one's other one's blubbing her eyes out and the other one's being <laughs> and so subtle. we cut back to inside the shuttle and the number five engine is gone and they go, well, just turn it off. You'll be fine. And Tom Hanks goes, well, looks like that was our glitch for the mission. <laughs> and the audience is going, oh, jeez. <laughs> um, and then they sort of, we get some of that, that cool stuff they must have done when they were doing their flights in that KC-15 airplane. Because they take off the helmets and the gloves and they're floating in space. And then Bill Paxton blows chunks, which is kind of gross. Yep. <laughs> Do you think they did that to show... But, you know, the cameraman, that was like a, an in-joke. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was what? wondering that. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, well, this is what we, you made us fly through. Um, yeah. I think it was something good and unique and something for... We needed moments where something looked unique and weird and odd. How that was a nice moment. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a whole sequence where Swigert manages to... I mean, they disconnect. I don't know how a space shuttle works exactly, or sorry, a rocket. I keep saying a shuttle. It's not a shuttle. How the rocket works. But it sort of, they take two pieces and they sort of blow them apart. And then they have to kind of come in from the other side then and connect from the other side. It was, it's really weird. Mm. But this is the bit where they're all going, come on, Jack. If you don't do this, there's no mission. The bits they disconnect, though, they're the bits that... Um got them up there in the first place that's just dead weight there are some bits which they do but this is something then why do you have to reconnect to this thing that's floating in space because that that is something that happened i think that was the bit that actually landed was supposed to land on the moon it had like the yeah yeah so you have to get rid of it so you can then because it's not it's not floating there of its own accord they brought that up with them oh right so you have to disconnect before you can because you can't reconnect to something you're you're already connected to does that make sense yeah, I just yeah. I thought it was like kind of pre-launched or something. No, no, no. Yeah, I I had that. No, that's not an orbit. They no, they do oh. d- detach that. I'd figured it was kind of oh, like a satellite kind of no. up no. there. No, I think we're thinking of like space stationy kind of modern sort of things where that would be up there and then you would just meet it and connect mm. to it. That wasn't the case back yeah, then. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So, uh, and he nails it. And again, this was all, I mean, they all believed in him, and he did a good job. And they said, even if he hadn't been able to do it, either of the other two guys could have done it. No one was worried that he wouldn't be able to do it. The thing they were worried about was when they came back up from, from, from the moon, because Jack would never have left the command center. He would have always been in orbit. Uh, and the thing they were worried about was reconnecting, but not, but not this part, not now. And so then we have this interesting... Well, then we find out about the the urine drop, which was a bit of a funny um, moment, and just a like, really juvenile. Oh, it's a beautiful urine development station. I'm like, come on. And of course, it's like it's like the good old boy family man who's like the most tickled pink about it. He's like, my piece yeah, in well, space. <laughs> you've got to have a little bit of lighthearted comedy because that's yeah. not going to get you know. Yeah, there's not there's not much else, is there? A really interesting no. scene, though, is they cut back to the to Jim's house, and Jim's daughter is freaking out 
because the Beatles have broken up and they'll never play together and she's taking it badly. But did you catch Liam what song she's playing? Um, it, uh, I believe it was Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. I'm going, could you not have found the... Because if I'm freaking out the Beatles never play together, I'm probably crying while I play my Beatles records. Clearly yeah. she was too distraught to play them and she had to play something else. I need Jimmy because Jimmy's, <laughs> Jimmy's, Jimmy's still with us for now, bless his heart. So when does Jimi Hendrix die, Liam? Uh, 71. Okay, so still a bit yet. Okay. Just after the Isle of Wight Festival. That's an annual thing, is it? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so whatever it's like, it was. It's like Glastonbury and stuff oh, like that. Oh, is it? That. Okay. Uh, then we go, and we find out that kind of part of the role used to be, if you went to space, you ended up with, um, you had to kind of do a broadcast, and all the major channels would carry you. And bless them, they've kind of put a lot of thought into this um, little entertainment they're going to do. And uh, Marilyn brings the kids to watch the the night's festivities and you find out none of the stations are carrying it. None of them care enough because it's old hat. And the message was no one is watching because it's too boring. And um, we see, oh, I'm sorry, I promise this isn't a bit. What's the boring guy's Fred. name? Fred. Uh, see, family, <laughs> family Fred. I got it. Okay. So Fred has brought a tape deck and has like changed the music <laughs> of his own, which is, I think something that I would do. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to play this instead. I'm controlling the tape. Yeah, um, and then uh, we find out from Jack that he hasn't paid his taxes yet and he asked him for an <laughs> extension, but no one's watching. And then um, as they hang up from their little entertainment bit, they say, we just got a couple of housekeeping things. Can you roll to the right? They roll to the right. Can you stir up the oxygen? And then we get a shot from inside the oxygen coil and something goes bang and a bunch of rivets pop and every light it feels in the dash turns on. And we get the famous, uh, Houston, we have a problem. A problem. Now, in actuality, it was 93 seconds between when they hit the switch and when you heard bang. But movies don't work like that. No. The line, Houston, we have a problem, was never said. Very very close to it. And the first one to say it isn't Jim. The first one to say it is Jack. And Jack says, okay, Houston, we've had a problem here, but it was garbled. And so they said, could you say that again? At which point Jim says, Houston, we've had a problem. And Ron Uh, Howard didn't like the we've had, because we've had, I'm going to get my English teacher hat on here, we've had is past tense. And the idea yeah. for the film is it's current tense, it's present tense. We have a problem, something we need yeah. to get over. So it's just one of those things now that we would all go, Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting as well because I've I've never seen this film before. And I'm guessing you knew that line, absolutely. And to yeah. find out that it was never actually said, and that that it's just from the film is quite surprising that it's been kind of so yeah. ingrained into my vocabulary without even knowing what it's from or why or having seen the film. Yeah, it's just one of those things that sort of worked its way into... I mean, it's, it's parodied a In lot. Yeah. yeah. And so the, they're trying to figure out, is it instru- back at Mission Control, is it instrumentation? What is the thing that's gone wrong? And then they go, we think we found out it's the oxygen. And then everybody at Mission Control just goes quiet. <laughs> and it's like this sheer moment of just like quiet terror. And then it gets loud. Except mm-hmm. for Ed Harris, who doesn't really ever seem to get loud. 
And so he asks, and he goes, what do we have? Because they're never always this wrong with the ship. And he goes, what do we have that's good? And this is <laughs> yeah, when Ron right. Howard's brother's name is what again? Clint. Clint Howard goes, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we find out, you know, the Odyssey is dying. And so they tell them to shut down some of the oxygen tanks or the fuel, the fuel cells, cells. Fuel cells. And Tom Hanks gets what this means. If we shut down the fuel, because they even say we can't land on the moon if we shut down those fuel cells. This is uh, Ed Harris's character. And they can't reopen them once they've closed. You can't reopen them. And he goes, look, it's about getting them home at this point. And so they say to the astronauts, shut down the fuel cells. And Hanks is the only one who seems to really kind of get it and goes, are you, you're, this is like three different ways. You're telling me to shut it down. I think that we can't start back up. You are telling me this. And they went, yes, we're telling you this. And there's a dead silence. And they even go back and said, can we get a copy on that? And he's got to verbally give confirmation that his dream is over. Mm. And I felt for him there. I really kind of had this. I mean, you know it's for his own good. But it's that thing, I think, Liam, where you have a dream. And even though you might go, it's not in my best interest, you still chase it. Think Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail and like it's falling and he's still reaching for it. And his father's trying to get him to stop reaching for the cup because you're going to die. Yeah. If you, I mean, this is basically, this is this grabbing the hand away from the grail and saying, you need to live. Yeah. Just a um, and it's a, nice little, it's a nice little moment later when he, you see him make that decision. I want to go home. We're going home. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that moment there at this point where he's gone, right, I've got to reevaluate what's going on, and it's now how we get home. Yeah. And so the instruction is we have to get everybody into the, the LAM, which is, which is the lunar module, which is only meant to carry two people. It's only meant to go to the land of the moon and then get off the moon. It's not meant for this purpose. But it's what you have to do. And this is where we get a race against time, and I didn't find out if this was legit or not. I have a feeling this is a movie thing. They had 15 minutes to swap the guidance systems over. And it just felt like it was that time in the movie where you're like, nothing interesting has happened. Like, there's no big crisis in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, they're trying to create tension. Yeah. We, um, we need, we need an it. exciting incident. I mean, you, Liam, you and I were speaking just a couple of days ago about Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. And the Kenneth Branagh version. And there's incidents in that one which don't happen in the book or the previous films. And you're just going, this is because you haven't had an exciting incident in, in, in 30 minutes. <laughs> like, there's no need for a gunfight or a fist fight. Kenneth Branagh, you know, Poirot does not get into a fist fight. So it just felt like someone <laughs> at the studio went, we need something to happen here. It's been too long. Yeah. So they do. And they get the guidance system over. And Ken is at home. And we cut to him. And he's watching, and there's some sort of people, there's interviews about the astronauts being played. And he sort of just has enough, and he gets up, he takes the phone off the hook, and just as he goes to turn off the TV and walk out, we see Apollo 13 special report, and we see him walk away and only hear in the first syllable. But we know what the whole thing's going to be, but there's something really, really bad going on. And he's walking away inadvertently from his friends. But you you don't blame that, you know? That's oh, not at you know, it's like one of that. Th- you want to shout at the TV, turn around, come back. Yeah, I would do yeah. the same thing. Like he went, yeah. he watched them take off, but it would kill you. Absolutely, absolutely. So you can't blame him. Yeah, because later he would, he would be. And this, and we cut back to um, Marilyn, and she's crying. And this is where I'm going to ask the question. 
Is the woman who plays Marilyn a good actress? I think so. Okay, I did not like her in this. I liked the character. I didn't like the, the, the portrayal. I liked both. Yeah, I'm a bit on the fence, really. Because yeah. there were moments where I liked her, and there was moments where I just thought, I don't really need that. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm on the fence. So uh, everybody comes over now, and um, there's a lot of people at the house, and she goes upstairs because she's told that her son's asking for her, her youngest son. And she goes on up. It's the same son that uh, Jim had the conversation with earlier. And she explains, it's been an accident. Daddy's okay, but they're, they're trying to work hard to get him home. And he won't go to the moon. And the little boy just goes, was it the door? And they go, no, it wasn't the door. So cute. <sighs> Tell you. And this I know, is, right? That's a moment. Yeah. And this is where we then go into the room. And everybody's yelling. And... Ed Harris comes in and just with quiet demeanor says, bring it down. We've, no, one at a time. And in chaos, he is the agent of order. And he says, here's what we need to do. And they talk about what the best method is. Is it turning it around? Is it slingshotting around the moon? And eventually he goes, look, there are ways that will get them home faster. There are ways that will get them home with saving more fuel. But the safest option is slingshotting them around the moon. Which is a pretty crazy thought. That's your safest option. Uh- I know, right? <laughs> and so, meanwhile, back in Mission Control, they're trying to pressure him for odds. The president wants to know, what are the odds? Are they five to one? Are they three to one? And he goes, we are not losing these men. And then he walks away. Not on, on my a, shift. Not on my shift, yeah. And I think the thing is, we've never lost an American man in space, and it sure as hell isn't happening on my watch. Yeah. And he walks away, and then one of the underlings says, tell Nixon three to one. <laughs> like, there goes the whole message. <laughs> I'd call him Sideburns, right? Because I can't remember his name. But I don't really like him. No, nah, he was... No, nah, he kept showing up and doing things like this. I was like, didn't yeah. like Yeah. And I think sometimes he... Like, a bit before in, like, um, other movies, he's there to create that drama, create that tension, to be that person. He's he's an agitator, um, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the word I was... Yeah. And so, so, yeah. But I'll call him Sideburns. Sideburns. <laughs> and so we go back to the shuttle... Shuttle, she's the rocket. <laughs> I keep doing that, and they're going past the moon. They're slingshotting around. They're really, really close. And Jim said earlier he was like seventy nautical miles away from the moon. It felt like he could touch it. And we're seeing this is why I think Fred hasn't been to the moon because he's so overtaken with it, and he's taken all of his video footage and taking shots yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah. And, and they're both going, and they go, "You, you want to look?" And you get the idea. He's seen this before. He didn't come back yeah. to get another close look. He came back to walk on the moon. And then we've got uh, the signal cuts off and he sits down and he's just waiting until he comes. They're going to be without signal until they get to the other side of the moon. And then we they have, go to the dark side of the moon. Dark side of the moon. <laughs> and, and then we have this fantasy of him landing on the moon. And I did not like the fantasy of him walking on the moon. Either. If you're going to have this moment, I want that earlier in the film. before, Like when he's yeah. thinking about going. Maybe when he's looking up in the in, in the garden at the night, he's doing it with a thumb in the sky, having him seeing himself, and we get how badly he wants this. I yeah. didn't need this now because what I need to feel right now is he's not going to get to the moon. But actually, they gave me the vision of Tom Hanks on the moon. But that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what you had at this point was a callback to when he put his thumb up to the sky and covered the moon because he did the same thing here with the Earth. He does. He does. I get that. And for that shot, maybe there's a purpose for that. 
But I, as the audience, what I need is if I need to empathize with Tom Hanks, you need to take that away from me. Yeah. But actually, they gave me that moment. It's not real, but I still got to no. see it. Yeah, they give you it and they rip it away and you feel his no, anguish. It's not, it's not ripped away from me. I got to see Tom Hanks on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see him do the thumb thing. I'm like, cool. Yeah, but then you know it's not real no, and it's that sad. Satis- that, that satisfies a need within me and I, I got the payoff. And the whole point is Jim never gets the payoff. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad yeah. your needs are so easily satisfied. Well, for I- that, not from that- a film perspective, <laughs> it's a movie about going to the moon. What do I want to see? I want to see Tom Hanks on the moon. Mission. That's number one. Number two, I want to see him live. This film gave me everything I wanted. <laughs> okay, well, I liked it. I didn't. It feels weird to go, my needs were met. I don't like that. But the whole point is, I need to feel frustrated and agitated. I need to feel exactly. like I'm totally agree. Yeah. I'm with you. Because I felt exactly the same. I felt exactly the same when I watched Okay, excellent. Maybe that'll be our poll this week. What was was that choice a good choice? I think it was. Um, And so... Oh, the thumb trick and the signals restored. Okay. And then we find out they've got 45 hours of power left. And that will only get them about two-thirds of the way back. And this, like, young kid comes in and goes, you're looking at it all wrong. We don't have enough power to get them 45 hours. We, we've, we've got less than that. Because then they had auction to get them 45 hours. Something like that. And he goes, no, it's about power. That's what you need to get. And so they go and they get Ken out of bed. Literally. And they bring him in. And he gets 100% and he says, don't give me anything in there they don't have up there. And he says, I need a flashlight. And they give him a flashlight. He goes, no, they don't have that flashlight. I want their flashlight. And give Ken his dues. He's there to help them because that's his buddy. There so is... no matter how he felt, yeah. he still was there to get them back. He was going to do whatever it was to get them back. And we learned earlier, if Ken doesn't get it right, he will spend hour after hour. He is meticulous. Hour. Yeah. He is a yeah. perfectionist. He is the yeah. right guy. And he feels an emotional connection. Those are, like you said, those are his boys. Yeah. And when yeah. he's in the simulator as well, he's like, no, if they're not sleeping, I'm not sleeping. Yeah, they're not going to break. I don't get a break. So yeah. good. Oh, love him. And then uh, the CO2. And a lot of this film was people talking other people to get to smarten the audience up. Yeah. Like earlier, when Tom Hanks is talking to his kid, before we get about the fire, he explains how a space, t- uh, how a rocket takes off. We have like these props that makes them come apart and says, so basically, so we all go, okay, now I understand. So yeah. like, well, it needs to be 15, like nice big numbers, round numbers. They're at eight. If it gets above 15, it's bad. We're like, okay, got it. This is our new kind of quantifiable threat. Because yeah. a lot of this movie is just watching gauges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just watching readouts and um, meanwhile you find out back at Mission and Control they're trying to put a square filter into a round container and we cut and was now, that real was that, was that yeah there, they, there was something about that didn't say right you need to do this yeah. you need to get this this is what they have because yeah. that is cool that is cool I love how their instruction is to literally to put a square peg into a, a round, round hole. hole yeah that is so cool and so death, day five we switch to, and you can see their breath. And Jim and Ken, Jim and Ken, not Ken, Jim and Fred start having a heart-to-heart. And we find out that Fred's starting to get sick. He says, it hurts when I pee. And they joke that, um, 
Maybe Jack's you got the clap <laughs> from using those urine tubes because they have to pee in the tubes, as we found out earlier. Now, they didn't mention what happens when they defecate. That was never brought up. No. I'm glad of that. I don't, think I, I don't think I want to see that. Uh, and then there's a fight between um, Fred and Jack. And I think this is believable. I think you would want, especially if you're tired, you haven't slept. Yes. You're frustrated. You've lost your dream. High stress situation. High stress situation. And you've been cooped up in a s- small space with these people for, for, for days. Especially when he's not your buddy. You're the guy who took my buddy's place. And that's not Jack's fault. It's not Jack's fault. He was the guy they phoned next. The fight, though, doesn't happen in real life. But they understand, well, again, it, it's important for, for the movie. It creates tension. Yeah. And this is where we find out, though, that... Um, Jack's been doing some math and says we're coming in way too shallow we're going to bounce off the atmosphere and uh, that's kind of left there he goes why? he says because I can add that's what I can do and um, then we we sort of leave that alone because the CO2 like spikes and just so you know it's spiking they make sure Tom Hanks coughs a lot so we go (laughs) oh it's going to be hard to breathe in here and they set it up and they walk them through it blind now I'm sorry Liam I mean I know this happened. I know it did. Like, I will try and put something together in my own life. I will have a YouTube tutorial video. I will pause, refresh, go back in time. And what I make never looks like what they were showing me to do. <laughs> they had audio-only instructions and built up yeah. perfect facsimile. I know. I know. I know. Some people's minds work differently. Some, people's, some people are smart in different ways. And I'm just like... I, <laughs> If I was on that, if this was my responsibility, we all dead <laughs> without question. Remember, they are NASA. They are, they are NASA. My job is something else. That is not my job to put. I think that was. I think that's Fred's big moment in the film, isn't it? This is Fred's moment to save the day. He's the one who really does that. Yeah. So, but there is a great bit when they when they plug it in and it's not working, and it's because no one's breathing. They're all too terrified to breathe. <laughs> and Jim goes, "Breathe naturally, boys." <laughs> um, and then it's a strange part. Now, I wonder what your thought on this is, because for the first time, really, we get introduced. Maybe the second time in the film, we get introduced to Grandma. I think this is the first time. There's the one time when she's... No, because she shows up when he's supposed to be on the television. Oh, yeah. And she goes, are we supposed to be on the program? And she went, oh, stupid TV guide. But then we show her here. Yeah, so I think it's the first time we see them, see her with the rest of the family rather yeah. than just on and her. they've gone to visit her and they're trying to explain the accident. And I wasn't that impressed with Marilyn and I wasn't that impressed with Grandma. I was so impressed with the little girl playing his daughter. I know, right? She just like, it's silent. It's just, and I usually hate child actors. This little girl got it. Totally. Whoever cast that little girl, well done. Because that was the right, (laughs) because I'm just like, she's the one I really, I'm just like, wow, that fear of everybody's talking about things that I really can't comprehend, but I know it's bad. Because the grownups seem worried. Liam. And again, it's, did we really need those scenes of grandma? Did we need them? They're I don't nice. think we did. You know, she weren't a pivotal. You know, at one point she says he could fly a washing. Machine, if they but, could figure a way to fly a washing yeah. machine, my Jimmy could land it. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. just didn't feel like that was needed. If it was going to happen, I needed to see Grandma before the launch. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to no. just oh, he's got a mom. 
<laughs> She's in a home. And I thought Buzz Aldrin and yeah, Neil Armstrong were a bit underwhelming as well. You know, yeah. it was just to get them, their names in. It was a neat idea that was... I'm not sure it worked in execution. Now, I'm yeah. going to be a bit of a contrarian here. I'm not... See, I would have been happy, Liam, if they gave his family life a little less, a little less uh, time. I thought the idea of of men—it's very man heavy. I understand that, and I understand. But I thought I don't think anybody's buying a ticket to see this to see how his wife was handling the situation. Um, no, because we know that already. We, we, we've got that. We I'm totally sorry. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I cared about the three guys in the spaceship. As far as maybe I'm jumping ahead of where I want to go at the end of the of, of the review, but who do I care about? I care about the three guys in the shuttle. I care about Ken. I care about Ed Harris's character. Um, and then you can give me a throwaway shot or two of the family. But that's really what I care about. I think this is probably your male female divide again, and perhaps why myself and Georgia weren't so keen on Days of Thunder last week with all the like car action and stuff. Like if this film was just the rocket spacecraft action stuff i wouldn't have enjoyed it and it was the moments where you had that connection back on earth that really solved the film to me okay i don't want to take us too much to the side have we all seen castaway no okay Liam, have you seen yeah. castaway yeah, they got yeah. me to care about tom hanks by himself on an island talking to a volleyball i didn't need yeah. cutaways to helen hunt and what she was doing in her life at no, no point did I care. It was, how do I get this guy off the island? And then when yeah. he gets safe, we go back to her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because they, they did all the pre-bit with her anyway in the early stages. Yeah. You know? And it's okay to keep referencing back now and again, but there were certain scenes that just didn't fit. They didn't feel right. They I would agree. Feel, they, it felt too padded. No, it keeps the suspense there. It's, it's the anticipation of are they going to make it home and what are the stakes if I they don't. Okay. I understand why they've done it. I do. I would say that my interest in the film, my engagement dropped whenever it was that side. Whenever it was family life, I went, I went, eh. all right, we're, talk- we're going back home for a bit. Um, and then we go back to the space shuttle and it's a tape cassette and it's all out of focus and it's playing something. Remember when you used to, people, probably people don't know anymore, but when you used to have like a Walkman and you would put batteries in it, and when the batteries were on their last legs, you would go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And did you catch what the song was? That was the tape was chewing, Yes. It? Did you catch what the song was? Um, yeah. It was... I know if I it hear it again, but I went... <laughs> you saw me standing alone. It was it was blue moon. Was it? Yeah, blue but moon. it was like without a care in my heart. It wasn't it wasn't the actual like like hook. It was like like the, yeah, the, yeah. the second two lines of the of the chorus. Yeah. But I was like, that's clever. The, you've lost the moon. The cassette is is dying. Just like your yeah. dream of reaching the moon is dying. Just like you might be dying. I'm like, okay, yeah. well done. As that's far as an clever. entry point, yeah. And then we find out they have to turn all the sensors off. In order to get home okay. And so they do that. And then NASA realizes they're coming in too shallow. Which I thought was important that we saw Jack come up with it before we saw NASA come up with it. Yeah. Because I think as the audience, we have been trained to look at Jack like a screw-up most of this film. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we even somewhat, much like Fred, went, did he somehow do something wrong before it blew up? Should he have noticed something? Because I think... 
we've been trained to, to, to look at that way. We've been taught he's yeah. a screw up. He's a womanizer. He's not as serious about this. That I, he's just a hothead. And I think we need to see he got it a full day before NASA got. And they use the same terms, yeah. bounce off the atmosphere. And yet they yeah. didn't just go, Houston, Jack's had an idea. Um, he thinks we're coming in too shallow. Could you look at that for us? Well, there was that great bit when they're all yelling at each other and they go, your comm link is on. <laughs> they just listen to me yell at each other. <laughs> because Tom Hanks is swearing and then Fred yeah. just goes, we copy you, Houston. He's like, oh, jeez. <laughs> so our voice box is on. Yeah, our voice box is on. And there's something about Tom Hanks's portrayal versus the real life Jim Lovell. Jim Lovell. 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 Was that the real life Jim Lovell never swears. And I don't remember Tom Hanks swearing a lot, but he did in moments of significance. Um, and they find out you've got to do a manual burn, which meant basically we need you to fire and towards a stationary object, but you're in space. What's stationary? And they go, if I can keep the mo- the, the, the moon, the earth in my yeah. window, that will be stationary. So that'll work. And they go, okay. And so we do that. And the only reason I bring this up really is because the picture, uh, the, when, when they went ahead and are going, and the shot of the earth through that window is actually a real shot that the real Jim Lovell took when he was on the Apollo 8 mission. That's cool. So that was, a again, a nice little bit of sort of, like there were patches and there's elements from the real missions that made its way into the film and it's not a case where real life was sort of in the art. Yeah. Also, the news stuff, was that real as well? Most of it was. That's cool. Most of it was. Because I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on that note, we have something about a basketball versus a softball and a piece of paper. I'm not sure if this scene was legit news footage or not, but I was like, okay, we get... Again, though, what are we going to do? Let's use some news footage so that it explains to the audience just how dangerous this is. Because if a character had said... If the Mission Control had said that, we'd go, you wouldn't have that conversation. Stop talking to me like I'm stupid. If the characters had said that, you'd go, you wouldn't talk like that. Don't talk to me like I'm stupid. The news broadcasters do it. You go, well, of course they they take something scientific and, and dumb it down for, for the general populace. And it's a really good way of getting information to the audience without having to just do really cringy dialogue. So I appreciated that. And just uh, as they shoot and there's all this panic and they're not quite getting it right, we just hear voices of the astronauts going, no, it's not right there. Oh, justify it right. I'll do this. And it's over other people's shots. We, we see uh, Jim's wife listening to it on this NASA radio, which was just... Is that real? The NASA radio? Yeah. There's a radio. I don't think you'd. I don't think you'd be tuned up to everything they're saying, would you? I, I believe the family gets like the NASA. Like so that's why it made sure they said NASA on it. It's not like I'm tuned into 103.5. And yeah, but I didn't know they did stuff. it for, for Hollywood bravado, or you know, to make it more tense for her to listen in on the conversations. I would be, because it's, it's interesting, because it's a good point you bring up, because at one point, Marilyn gets mad, and she says, don't give me your NASA BS. She used the full word, but, you know, which gives the implication that NASA likes to hide things. But then you've got a radio that broad, apparently yeah. broadcasts everything anyway, so why does she have to challenge them? She knows the truth. Maybe she got the radio later on. I don't think that's real. I, I think that was more there for us. That might be a storytelling because, technique, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, if things are going wrong, the last thing you want is the family you know, if that's yeah, if they're listening to everything straight away there and then, you know, so I think that's more for us. And we cut back to well, actually, it's it's a, it's a news interview that Jim had done before he went up, 
And it's the story about how he was once flying and all of his instruments went dark and he was thinking about ejecting. But because it was dark, he was able to see a green trail of algae that like leads him home. And if his lights hadn't gone out, that he would have been, he'd have been a dead man because he never would have seen, seen the algae. And we're going, okay, this is a guy who um, is calm under pressure, a guy who's observant, who notices. Maybe it's a bit late in the film to put this scene in. Because what's how this know. happens, they're I, almost home. I like this scene. I like the scene. I just thought maybe his placement might have been better earlier in the film. Yeah. Because at this point, I know he's good. And they're almost home. I think that was, again, more for the viewer, just for, you know, and for the, the wife to go reassure her, say, he's going to come home. Yeah. This, is a, this is a moment of, say, he is going to come home. All the doubts she's got in her head. This is him. It's also walking. difficult because despite what I said, you have to break up the scenes in the shuttle somehow, in the, in the rocket somehow. I suppose the other thing is that perhaps um, in real life, they might have played that interview around that same chronological yeah, time no to help idea. to reassure the public. Because so. you saw a bunch of these. You saw one with Jack. He had an interview. You saw one with Fred. He had an interview. And then this one is the last one, I think, is, yeah. is Jim's. I liked it. It made me feel good. It made me think, yeah, yeah. They're on the way. They're oh, I really coming. like the scene. I just, again, I, I, I just might have placed it earlier in the film, but it can work. And this is when they sort of team up and go, NASA, give us the plan. And they kind of go, well, you're going to have it really soon. They go, no, no, no. Stop lying to us. Give us what you got. And then they go, oh, it's Deke here. And this is where Kevin Bacon's character, Jack, goes, that, that, that they don't have the plan. That they don't have anything because he's on the line. He's the top dog. Yeah. And this is interesting, I thought, Liam, because at this moment, the three of them are unified. Yeah. And it might just be unified because it's like, F you. You guys are trying to screw us over. Tell us what you know. But even if that's yeah. what they have, they have that in common. And this is where they kind of bond, I think, over that. Meanwhile, yeah, Kenda discovers, they find out Ken, this is how they find out Ken's in the simulator. And wouldn't you believe it? It's just at this time that Ken has the breakthrough mm-hmm. about how he can save them. Because there's some battery cells that maybe we can reverse the flow and somehow get yeah. the, the, the power out of those batteries into other batteries. And they said, well, you'll lose a lot. He said, I just need a couple of amps. That's all I yeah, need. Exactly. And they fixed yeah. it. They'll so, lose all of it if they just chuck it off into space. So, so at this point, Ken, like, like, they drive over and Ken, like, walks majestic, not majestic, but powerfully into Mission Control. He puts on a suit jacket as he does it. And they, like, give him the calm. They're like, here, you are the voice. And uh, he says, hey, uh, Apollo 13. And they, they instantly know who this is. Even with 1970 communications <laughs> and the clarity that would be, they go, this is Ken. Excellent. But sometimes in, in them sort of situations, you want a, a voice that you trust? Oh, absolutely. You know, so he, he's in his head. A bit like Tom Cruise in um, Days of Thunder with... Um, uh, Harry in his head. He's there with him. That's them having him there with them. Now, that's a, that's, a, that's a good comparison. Yeah, you know. So and so, Jim asks him, "Are the flowers blooming in Houston?" And he goes, <laughs> "No, I do not have the measles." <laughs> Which, thank God, he didn't. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Because would he have been able to fix it from up there? Probably not, because you couldn't run that ten thousand simulations. You get one crack oh. at it in the shuttle in real yeah. life. So he, I get, you know, as, as life would have it, he was in the right place at the right time, even if that meant you were on the ground. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we have the scene that you really liked where Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin uh, are introduced to mom. And we're even introduced to them by their full names. Oh, this is Neil Armstrong and Bu I think it was just M. Buzz. And th th they've been told distract mom when uh, they start talking about like predictions. And so they're, they're actually going, oh, so did he ever really make Eagle Scout? And she's going, oh, are you two boys in the space program too? And it was, <laughs> is it a good laugh? Is it a cheap laugh? I don't know. Do you know what? I found it funny. It did make me belly laugh, but it was a scene that didn't need to be there. Yeah. Again, it was just more padding. I do agree with that one. I think, I think it's the thing when you put the grandmother in. I think if you get rid of her, you get rid of a few of these scenes that really kind of overextend, disrupt the flow, whatever. I mean, it, yeah. is the question, maybe this is a better shout. Did we need a laugh there? Because it's been a, it's, it's a hard film to watch in some capacity. There's a lot mm. that goes wrong for these guys. And they can't make quips up there in the rocket. That's not really what they do. No, but my argument is, um, that's take me out of it too much. I want... I want, I want to be there with them and still feel that tension. I don't want to be keep going, oh, there's a laugh. Oh, back to it again. Oh, there's a laugh. Back to it again. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm with, it. I'm with them. Don't keep breaking it up for me. That scene, all I kept thinking was, these scenes aren't needed. Yeah, fair enough. You know, so yeah. Speak, That's just me. Speak, My opinion, just me. It's fine. <laughs> Speaking of not needed, um, well, something that was needed, actually. Uh, they're underweight, so they're coming in on the wrong trajectory because they don't have the rocks they would have brought back with them from... Um, from, from the moon. And so they need to find anything they can grab out of the lunar module and put it back in the command module. And so they're just grabbing all this loose crap that's been like <laughs> floating around <laughs> in the command module. Um, and we start seeing a lot of people watching TV. And the one that got me, Liam, was the one where they're, they're at the military academy with Jim's eldest son because they've wheeled the TV on a stand into the classroom. And I'm like, do you remember when we used to have TVs on? It was like in England? Because it was yeah, like, we did. there are moments. I remember the Olympics when Canada was in a couple of hockey games and other big events that happened live where they wheeled the TVs and we got like two or three classes together and you would just watch. Yeah, World Cup for us. Yeah. You know, Wimbledon. Yeah, uh, just, so, yeah, just cultural yeah. moments, right? And they're like, yeah. you know, whatever you were learning didn't really matter that day. It was, and there's things where, you know, what I learned, it absolutely didn't matter. But I remember the 92 Alberville Olympics, and I remember Canada versus, I think it was Sweden, where it went to a shootout in the quarters. And that's a memory I have forever. Yeah, same. Yeah. And it's interesting. You would think that as the world gets more, we, we, we say the globe gets smaller and we're all watching the same YouTube channels and these things you fear should bring us all together. But now that we all have devices that we have in our hands, we don't do those corporate things anymore. We don't get together and watch things as a group anymore because there's no need, but we've lost something. I think. I think our generation, the last generation hold on to that. Yeah. You know, we were, we were late seventies, early eighties, but you know, technology with phones didn't come to the forefront until the, late 90s by then we were late teens oh yeah so yeah. you know we 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 were the last generation to hold on to the before technology evolved so quickly yes so i would just know. like to add though that i do remember a tv being wheeled into my classroom to watch sports <laughs> events, cool. did, they, did they wheel it in and say this is a historical artifact nope okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they said today we're going to watch the world cup and yeah that kind of stuff 
So I they... bet you didn't have chalkboards, though. <laughs> Did you have chalkboards? Uh, yeah. Okay. In, well, not not everywhere, and depending on which you know which school. That was one of the weirdest <laughs> things I got back when I got the teaching was realizing oh, the, there's no more blackboards. I'm like, that's you, so weird. Did you have those rolling um, blackboards? Well, the ones that you would like. There's ones you can slide from left to right <laughs> and like open up a like new space and like, okay, now write this one. You need to erase the other board and start writing on that. I think there were ones that you could like roll down vertically. Oh, wow. I yeah, didn't yeah, see yeah. many of those. You know no, what? I had more oh, of the moving yeah. ones left I, to right. I actually can't remember a blackboard in my primary school, but I remember a rolling one like you're talking about in my high school. Weird. Oh, that's so it's funny. like I went back in technology. Yeah. <laughs> and so they finally, at this point, get rid of the old middle piece, I guess. And they jettison off and they see all the damage and everything that went wrong with it. And we find out Fred is barely holding it together. Fred is super, super ill. And in actuality, Fred did not have the clap. Fred had a urinary tract infection. Yeah. Uh, okay. That would make sense. Yeah. I was so, starting to think he had the measles. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought so too. Having, <laughs> having not seen it since like 1990s, probably six. Yeah, I was like, what, what, what's actually happened in this? Yeah. And so then Jim, it felt like Jim and his wife were having a staring contest because he's staring at the Earth, and then she's at home staring out the window, and then he's staring back. And I went, okay, Ron Howard, didn't didn't really appreciate. I, I maybe I'm just a cold hearted guy. I was like, yeah, don't care. Oh, I appreciate. Oh, really it. oh did you? Okay, there we go. This is me, maybe. Yeah. No, I I like that because again, it was a, a connection. I like that distinct connection. And we go back, and they're getting ready to jettison the lunar module off. And there's a piece of paper, lined little paper, that's been taped to the control panel, but just says no. And he goes, "What's this about?" And he goes, oh, "I was getting pretty loopy, so I didn't want to accidentally like send you guys off before it was time." Did he say punch happy or something? Yeah. Punch happy, that's it, yeah. <laughs> so, but it was the idea that you know I don't want to accidentally in my you know altered state send you guys off into into space. And he goes, he's kind of embarrassed, and Hank's just like, "No, it's it's good thinking." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is where we get our last of the big tests that we have a news. And a bunch of people sort of talk to each other, so we learn. And it's that you have the, the blackout when you approach the Earth can only last three minutes. If it's more than three minutes, you probably died. And there's always worries about the heat shields and what if the parachutes don't defrost and da 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 da. So we're told three minutes. And probably about the span of about three minutes, we hear the word three minutes like 19 times. Why was it that you probably mm. died if it was over three minutes? Because it only takes about three minutes to come from, from entering the atmosphere back into the part where like radio should be able to pick you up it's like it's like a travel of time and, and you're basically mm-hmm. falling right so yeah the idea of it if you've it's longer than three minutes it means you've been burned you're up so it's up. so it's yeah. never going to come back on oh okay so how much truth is this because they say four minutes over four isn't well it? they say three to four they say three because they mentioned the news it's never taken more than three minutes but they're giving them like a minute's grace to go we haven't done that many sh- you know shuttle launches who knows um and so this is where Sideburns is going around, like, <laughs> telling everybody all the things that could go wrong. This will be the biggest disaster in the history of NASA. And Ed Harris stops him and goes, I think this will be our finest hour. And if I'm, like, that's, Sideburns is not the guy you need in the room at that point. No. The troops need to be on board and believing this. There were a hell of a lot of guys Absolutely. in that 
NASA station that really didn't want didn't need to be on board at yeah. the whole of this film. And so then we find out. So and we hear the word heat shield about a thousand times. And my favorite part of this, because the bit where it's coming back into the atmosphere and it's like glowing orange, I'm like, okay, not it's 1995. I get a pretty special effects. But then we cut to a shot inside the uh, command module. And like all the like, the frozen instruments that have been done are like just pouring water on them. Water. I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool. That was a cool that shot. Cool. Yeah, that is a cool it shot. It reminded I like that. me I of like that. a roller coaster at Thorpe Park or something, where you've got like water rides that also go really fast. And they land, and they're landing in the South Pacific. And do you know why it's in the South Pacific? Because it actually was. No. Well, it actually was. <laughs> but do you, know, you know why they chose the South Pacific? No, they had brought science. Ocean? No, they oh, kind of. They had brought science experiments to go up there, and they were going to last for years. And in order so they would last for years, they brought plutonium to power these devices. Because the theory is, you're going to leave that on the moon, so there's no worry. Oh, okay, when they don't yeah. go to the moon, you're like, we've got plutonium. <laughs> what do you wow. do? So they actually make it so that you land in the middle, like the Indian Ocean, like you know, far from any place that exists. Yeah. And so um, you just said it was the South Pacific. South, the Indian Ocean is the South. Oh, South Pacific, Indian, somewhere in the southeastern regiments of the globe. <laughs> but probably South Pacific. So I hear the words Tonga Trench. Apologies. So uh, somewhere in the Tonga Trench, there is this the the, the command module still sits, and the plutonium is still in that. <laughs> And they say, the best of our knowledge, hasn't leaked yet. And I'm like, jeez. <laughs> so, three minutes. Um, and they go, all right. And um, they go, and this is where they're letting Ken do it. After three minutes, I mean, the big countdown clock. Like, they build a clock with a three-minute countdown. But they have one, so we can watch it as, like, an audience. And it yeah. gets to three, and they try it. And Ken just keeps going. Um... This is Houston. Do you copy? This is Houston. Do you copy? And then finally, and we cut to ships who are looking. No one can see it. And then finally we hear a little static. And then we hear, hello, Houston. This is Odyssey. It's good to see you. And um, we just get him going, copy that. And there's a small catch in Ed Harris's throat when he says copy that. And everybody starts cheering and they all get to see it, and it is this relief. And then you see, as everybody else is going nuts cheering, the camera lingers on Ed Harris, and he sits down. And he looks like the weight of the world is off his shoulders. Yeah. And now he is overwhelmed by the moment. So much yeah. so that he tries to get up, and he can't do it on the first time. It takes him two goes to get up out of his chair. Because yeah. and I've been in situations in my life where I've gone, you've had to be the guy who's kind of cool, and you're and you're... You're not letting them see a sweat. And then it gets over and you kind of have the shakes and go, oh, my God. And you've compartmentalized yeah. that in your brain for later because you can't deal with that now. And then when you have to, because eventually you have to deal with all that energy. And he kind of had that moment then. And um, in actuality, they got the visual long before they heard the audio. So they knew they were okay. But obviously it makes for a better film when everybody thinks you've died and you hear. Yeah. And we have a voiceover from Tom Hanks saying they called it a successful failure. Uh, they cancel the Apollo space program at number 18. We find out that um, Jack went to Congress but dies before he can take office. We find out that Ken 
Um, never got the measles. Never got the measles, but did go up in Apollo 16 and orbit the moon. Yeah. And then he says, and as for me, and when you get to the line, and as for me, Tom Hanks's character is shaking the hand of the real Jim Lovell. That's cool. Who's appearing as a captain on the USS Iwo Jima. Yeah. And they offered him, they said, do you want to be an admiral? And he went, no, thank you. I retired a captain, so a captain I shall remain. And I'm like, oh, Jim Lovell just isn't the coolest guy there is. And it's he actually is, his memoir that, um, that ended up being like the basis for, for, for the film. Yeah. Um, and so that's more or less um, that. An interesting thing, at one point earlier in the film, Ed Harris says failure is not an option, which is not an actual thing that was said back then. But the guy, his name was, what was it? It was, uh, oh, this is, I forget what the guy is. I just call him Ed Harris all mm-hmm. the podcast. Gene. Gene. The real Gene heard that, liked it so much that when he wrote his autobiography, he called it failure is not an option, which, <laughs> which, which I guess you can do if they were playing you when they wrote it. It's not really plagiarism, is it? No, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, all right. And that is, in essence, Apollo 13. So, I mean, what did we all think of it? Does it hold up? I, I, I really like it. I mean, there are a few holes in it that, you know, I could pick out, but overall, I really enjoyed it. And... I was really engaged, and the thing is, I couldn't stop crying. You you said you had a really emotional response to it. Like, which yeah. parts got you? Um, just the, the tender moment of you know when he was like talking to his son about you know being honest but not too graphic, yeah. stuff like that. Um, early on moments with his wife, um, moments between the two wives when they're watching the launch, the moments with um, Ken. When he, yes, I'm on board. I'm helping them. You know, I'm going to do this. Going to do that. Um, little thing. You really um, couldn't stop human, crying, could you? Humanistic things that yep. you know show passion and heart and truth. That's interesting. I, I, for for all the 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 crapping which I did do on um, Marilyn, I really liked the scene with Marilyn and the other and Fred's wife. Yeah, I really liked that and could have done with actually more of that dynamic throughout the film. Yeah. You know, more of her sort of getting and the idea being that even in her moments of tragedy, she's looking after, you know, this other person as well as her family. So I guess it was just how it was presented uh, that kind of was for me. I mean, Ellie, your first time seeing it. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Um, But definitely just to stress again how much I liked those scenes back on earth yeah. with the with the family i just that completely made the film for me maybe they should have called it life at home <laughs> <laughs> featuring some cutaways to what was going it was it was the story of Marilyn level <laughs> watching space you could give it like the theory of everything treatment <laughs> the, the wedding ring falls down she goes oh no we've got a problem <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so here's my first question, because um, I, I kind of, you know, certain questions we come back to all the time, and there's certain questions which uh, are kind of unique to the films that we, that we get to. I mean, I think if we go whose story this is, it's, it's, it's Jim Lovell's story. I mean, all kind of more, I mean, if, there are other people who get moments, but it's Jim Lovell's story, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Space movies. Is this the best space movie ever? Um. Because the two big heavyweights that come to my mind 
If you're going to compare, the only three that aren't science fiction. So I'm not talking Star Wars. I'm not talking Star Trek. Nothing like that. But I think you're looking at Armageddon. You're looking at this. And you're looking at Gravity. I think of the big three. Unless there's one I'm forgetting. Have you seen I've The Martian? I've never seen Gravity. Oh, I've seen The Martian. I think The, I think the Martian has to count as well. Yeah. I like The Martian. I like yeah, so where does this fit in the grand in, in that thing? Now, the, the one thing this doesn't have that all the other ones kind of. Oh, because when's Armageddon? Ninety eight. Yeah, ninety eight. Because you look at those two films; they're visually very different. Yeah. Because there's no cheesy special effects in, the, in in Armageddon. But again, that's made up story. There is. Where this Absolutely. Is based on truth. Yeah. So there's the question. So I quite like this based on truth, and I this look, is a better. Think... A... Sorry, go ahead. I think also a lot of the reason why I got so um, teary in this film was because the element of the truth. You know, I was I was imagining it from their point of view and how they were, and I was invested in the characters. Um, and because it was real, yeah, I felt it more. And I think Armageddon you know? borrows things from this film. I yeah. think like Billy Bob Thornton's role as like the the guy who runs Mission Control is very much like look at Ed Harris and what he did. How can you put your spin on that? Because Ed Harris was great because he didn't really, he was very stoic, wasn't he? He was calm. Like I said, when everything else was chaos, he was an agent of, of, of order. Yeah. There's one scene though, he did um, sort of lose it where he says, um, uh, I need to know now type thing. Yes. You know, do, do it, find it now. Yeah, absolutely. I need it now. But I think um, that's why it's important that we've talked, Liam and, and, and Ellie, about um, what, about when you when you're doing a show because we all do amateur theater together, and I've talked about tenning all over the place and making sure you yeah. don't lose your emotional range early, so that when you do go somewhere later, it means something. And it did. And this is if he was the character who yelled all the time, then no, nothing's important. But when he loses no. his cool, then you're going, oh shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. So, I totally agree with that, yeah. But the only thing I also didn't like, as much as I like um, Ken, wouldn't Ed Harris' character, Gene, had been the, the one, say, the last bit at the end? Yeah, maybe. Because he's the overall guy who runs the yeah the <laughs> overall bit. You know, where Ken wouldn't have done, would he? Who does the I mean? Who does the audience? I mean, who does the audience want that moment to be with? We oh, want yeah, we I want, want it to be Ken. Ken. Yeah, of course. I and Ken, um, although Ken Mattingly existed, he was a real guy. The version that we see in the film is an amalgamation of about four or five different characters. Yeah. So Ken Mattingly was in, was was doing the stuff in the, the best of my knowledge was doing the stuff in the uh, in the simulator. But as far as getting on the com and talking to them, that wasn't necessarily historically accurate. It's like Gene took a back seat in that last pivotal moment. I think I see. That's the thing about 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 Gene. I liked is that I don't think Gene was about the um, about about the ego and about the idea that this is my ship. I think he didn't care who had the talking. He was just the one who was responsible for getting them home, not necessarily the one who was responsible for talking to them. And it seems like Gene was head of like we had a big part in NASA for years and years afterwards, according to the voiceover at the end. So, yeah. Up until present day, which was 1995. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But so, what are we saying? Are we saying Apollo 13 is the best space film ever? I like it. You yeah. like it? Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. Are you, you going with the, the Martian? Um. Well, to be honest, I haven't actually seen the entirety of the Martian. Um, okay. So I can't. So I can't judge. I've seen a lot of it and really, really liked it, but I haven't got back to watch watching the Empire, so I can't say for sure. 
I will say I like the Martian, but I will say because I mean, Martian's kind of like Castaway in a way, isn't it? He's by himself and he's talking yeah. to something else. So I think yeah. the ability to have meaningful relationships between these characters. I'm going to put Apollo 13 there, but I yeah, love Armageddon too. as a popcorn movie. I yeah, love uh, The Martian was very well acted and I'll definitely give Matt, Matt Damon yeah. that. He was great in it. Absolutely. And Gravity, which we haven't talked about. Am I the only one who's seen it? I've never seen it. Spectacular yeah. special effects as like a visual thing amazing and sandra bullock i think she wins an oscar for it no she doesn't win it for bullock. but no he alfonso cuaron wins an oscar for it as director she's very very good in it but again it's one person by herself oh and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of just seeing things from her perspective and hearing her breathe and you know but i'm not getting those relationships so i will go apollo 13 but it but it's but it's a, it's a really strong field yeah is this a top five tom hanks movie because oh, I've put this, so I've put this out there on the socials today, pretty much everywhere I could, and it seems about sixty percent of people are saying no, it's not a top five movie, and I'd be inclined to maybe agree, but let's just kick it around the corner. And we've got like Forrest Gump, Catch Me yeah, If You brilliant. Can, oh, brilliant, Philadelphia, Road to Perdition, The Green Mile, uh, yeah. Big, someone mentioned, big. love Big, um, Splash, Splash, uh. <laughs> Oh, a league of their own. Oh, that's brilliant. I love a, great. I love a league of their own. Uh, Me there was too. another one I had in my head, and I've lost it now. Uh, we said Castaway, Castaway, Saving uh, Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, Saving Mr. Banks. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so I would say not a top five film, but when you're looking at no. Tom Hanks, and there, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen The Post, and I haven't seen myself Road to Perdition or Green Miles. So there's three big, but I could still name five that I thought were better than this. But this is a really good film. I mean, Hanks has just chosen film. his roles so well over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Little known fact, my mom thinks Tom Hanks is icky, she says. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, it's Tom Hanks. He's an American treasure. Well, they can... I was talking about the other day. Well, they can keep him. I'm like, Mom! <laughs> Toy Story? See, we'll talk about that as we get closer to the films like that. I really like three, but I hate Toy Story. Well, at least I used to. Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2, because I hate Tim Allen. And they uh, came out at the peak of Tim Allen. Yeah, but re- you've got to think back then. Tim Allen was huge. Oh, he trust me. I, I, I was living in North America. He had the number one show on television on Home Improvement. I think it was just too much of the same shtick that I didn't care for. He was an older version of Adam Sandler, where everything felt yeah. the same. But because he's that character from then, and yeah. he was big at the time and cast as it, yeah. he's carried up through... Yeah. So that's kept his career going. I, I hope, because I really like Toy Story 3. Love Toy Story 3. I, I really hope if I ever go back and watch Toy Story 1, that maybe I'll appreciate it a bit more. Yeah. Maybe. I like it. Uh, Polar Express, didn't talk about that. Polar Express, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I know some people really rate it as one of their top Christmas movies. So there's so much good stuff. I mean, one of the coolest things for me was I went to New York City once, and I got to do like the scene from Big on the Piano. Oh, cool. So that was Stop cool. It. Like, yeah, FAO. Well, then, I think, didn't they do, was it Chopsticks or was it Heart and Souls? Chopsticks. Oh, was it Chopsticks? Okay. Um, so was it, is this anybody's best role ever? It's not Gary Sinise for me. I like Lieutenant Dan. Me too. And he's also great in Of Mice and Men. Um, oh, Ed Harris. I think Ed Harris is better in Truman Show. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll do that. He's great. It's TV, but he's great in Westworld. Yeah, he is, yeah. 
But apart um, from that, I don't think I've seen any of the others in anything else, so I can't really Bill, comment. Bill Paxton. I mean, Bill Paxton's in so much good stuff over the years. Yeah. Actually, Bill Paxton was in one called, oh, I'm trying to remember what it is. It was uh, Matthew McConaughey was in it. Frailty. It was called Frailty. That is a great film, and we need to do that film because it is disturbing. Oh, okay. In like, in like a really good way. It is so dark. I like it then. Oh, so oh, Ellie's going to love Ellie's going to love that. If anybody's <laughs> out there and you're like, yeah, frailty, hit us up. You bug me enough. We'll definitely do it. Um, I don't know. Uh, let's go through the usuals then. Favorite performance? My favorite performance was Gary Sneed. Yeah, then. Ken Manningly. Absolutely. Because there was, because you could, you felt for him when he went growing up, you know, doing his dream job. Um, but there was no animosity there. He was there to help. There was no question. Um, yeah, he was he was the man for me. And so much of the film is him acting by himself. Yeah, like he doesn't get that. Yeah. He doesn't get people to bounce off of. He's doing no. it by himself. That's very true. Yeah. He was really good. Um, Ellie, um, I think I, I do agree. He was really good. Um, I really liked Ed Harris in it. Um, I thought, especially the moments towards the end where you kind of see that relief and the weight coming off his shoulders. I thought that was really. Well done. Uh, you two named bo- bo- both of my picks. That w- it, it, it would have been the two of them. Uh, I, think, I think it would have been really easy for uh, Ed Harris or even a director to go, let's make uh, Ed Harris's character the, the yelly guy. Let's make him the guy who's like, firm. he's in control. It's his show. Yeah. And they chose yeah. instead to make him the calm, collected, one at a time. Don't guess. Work the problem. And just really tactical. And I thought that... And then when someone else had it and said, I really believe in this, going, we're going with that. And I know that's a script, but also the ability to sell it and make you believe it. That absolute confidence he has in his team. Yeah. And I thought that was really well sold. Uh, I'll give... I'll give an honorable mention because I was talking to a friend back home a little bit about it. And he said how much he doesn't like Kevin Bacon in this film. And I went, that's the point though. Yeah. You're not supposed to like Kevin Bacon until it shifts. Because Hanks doesn't like him that much, and Fred sure as heck doesn't like him until it shifts. So I'm going to give honorable mention to Kevin Bacon because he played that kind of slightly slimy, uh, you know, y- y- you're not my real friend, that kind of guy, really, yeah. really well. So I-, I would rate probably, I'd have a hard time separating them. They'd both be like my, my one and one A. Uh, of Ed Harris and um, and Sinise, but I'll put him in. And of course, Tom Hanks is brilliant in everything he does, isn't he? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Do we want to guess which two got nominated for Oscars? Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise. Okay. Gary um, Sinise did not get nominated for oh. an Oscar. Probably because he was nominated the previous year for Forrest Gump. Maybe they didn't want to do back to back. Because Hanks doesn't get nominated yeah. for this either. <laughs> oh, okay. Ed Harris, then? Ed Harris. Ed Harris is nominated. He loses to Kevin Spacey for The Usual Suspects. Oh, okay. But in what world, knowing what you know, Liam, about The Usual Suspects, in what world is Kevin Spacey a supporting actor in that? How is he not the lead yeah, he, actor? He's the lead actor. I would think he was the lead actor, not because of anything that happens plot-wise, just because no. the movie opens with him, it closes with him, and he's narrating the whole thing. <laughs> he's surrounded, yeah. I don't know how they got away with that. No, I don't. When we, when because we will at some point review Usual Suspects, like that's. So that's would they have said that Gabriel Byrne was the lead actor? I would guess they said it was an ensemble piece, and there was no lead actor. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say he was more of an ensemble, really. I think, yeah. I think everybody in that. I mean, Benicio del Toro, uh, Billy Baldwin. I mean, these are all 
Yeah. Um, the other nomination, though, for an Oscar went to the woman who played Marilyn, whose name I had oh, written really? down. Interesting. The one who I didn't like. And uh, was like it's Kathleen Quinlan. Kathleen Quinlan. Like, I was so convinced. I was like, she is bad. And I did the research, and it was like, she got nominated for an Oscar. I'm like, I don't care. I still think she was bad. No, I uh, thought she was good, but I, I wouldn't have guessed that she was the Oscar nomination. I don't think Ron yeah. Howard got nominated for this, which I think is an absolute crime. I think Clint Howard should have been Oscar. <laughs> that guy was a genius at the beginning for seven minutes <laughs> and then we never saw him again <laughs> he was just in the background smoking a cigarette for the rest of the time best insignificant <laughs> yeah. role Fair enough, after people. Um, so uh, is there a favorite element favorite moment something we haven't talked one thing like, I really liked this I really like um, telling the boy mm-hmm. about the door uh, I really like the Tom Hanks Talking on camera about the flying the um, plane and when everything went wrong, I love that moment. Um, I love the moment between the two wives when the space shuttle went off because uh, there was you could see the two comparisons beside each other, yeah. both feeling the same thing but showing different things. Um, and there's loads more more bits, but they're my top. Ellie? So I've already mentioned that it was the bits at home that made the film for me, but there's a couple of key scenes that we haven't actually mentioned. So um, there's the bit when the TV stations are trying to put the transmitter on the lawn and she says, well, she says they can't. And then she says, if they have a problem with that, they can take it with my husband. He'll be home on Friday. And her voice is starting to crack there too. And I thought that was beautiful. Is that the same, is that the same schmucky guy who's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, jeez. But I'll tell you what was really great about that was is that you didn't care enough about him when he was well. You are not going to make a circus out of my home now that he's in danger. Absolutely. I do like that. I like that. That scene you can keep in. Even even (laughs) my cuts. I want that scene. And that was, so that was, that was a small little little bit um and then also the other bit that i really liked with marilyn was um when the families are watching the re-entry of the rocket in or whatever we're calling it at that stage into the atmosphere um the little boy says mummy you're squishing me oh that's really good yeah, and yeah. i loved that yeah. because her face is so yep. kind of again stoic and she's just acting so calm but it really shows how much it's affecting yeah. and she's she's just holding it together so well and notice, this, this is superwoman you right notice that there's like a priest there who like reaches his hand out like comforts the boy a little bit yeah, yeah. that was a nice moment um for mine i'm gonna say there's a film liam i like called the big short i know ellie doesn't like it i really oh, like it awful. and something that's really really good about it is i take complicated uh scenarios and they literally explain it to the audience in a really really clever way i think something this film i think does really really well is there's a lot of things that we need to understand about space that we might not know about space. And yeah. so they used either Hanks telling his son or a newscaster telling another newscaster. They found ways to teach me what the important parts of the film were going to be that wasn't like done through like just really bad dialogue. It felt everything felt organic. And I thought that was really clever and necessary. I know, like like with Kevin Bacon at the beginning, when he's explained to that lady. <laughs> maybe not that I, I, <laughs> I was like oh I understand docking now not really <laughs> that's uh, a funny scene what a, yeah. a bone of but con- no I know what you mean I know what you mean yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that what about a bone of contention a little grumble a little grumble we might say on the Disney one something uh, that you're my like- grumble you know my grumbles what is it is it grandma Gra- grandma you know. yeah yeah, there's there's no need for them scenes. There were some scenes with the wife that weren't needed. Ellie, I'm not saying they all 
weren't needed because I did like her. But there were some scenes that weren't um, like the shower scene, losing the ring. You know, I think that's a story that, that was so good they couldn't pass it up. But yeah, again, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary. It's not necessary unless you're gonna do. No. How great would that scene be where she's hugging the kid? She goes, "Oh, I'm sorry," and then you just see her play with her ring finger again. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. Like just that little moment. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. That's my grumpy. Here's me telling Ron <laughs> Howard how to do his job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my grumble is that there are certain professions, careers, jobs in this world where you have to have people that are calm and collected and know how to make decisions in tough situations. So things like if you're in the government, if you're a spy, if you are... To be fair, spies are in the government. Well, okay, but <laughs> this, this, I'm just I'm just thinking of other... If you're a politician, if if you're a spy, um, and I had another example, but I've forgotten what it was. But if you are working for NASA, whether you are an astronaut or whether you are back at on Earth, you need to be able to have discussions about things without losing your head. And all these scenes where they're talking about like how they're going to get them back when they've only got power to get them to this point. Apart with the exception of Jean, who handles it very well, the others are all just yelling and talking over each other and squabbling. And it's like, that's not how that would work, surely. It's how you establish Ed Harris's character. You make him different from everybody else. Yep, but I just it really, really annoyed me because oh, I, I just thought you would have capable individuals in these roles. And in the same way that the astronauts, apart from with that one scene where they bicker, they work together and... People would not act like that well, at NASA. If I can just touch base on a couple of things we haven't talked about, there was the one where the guy who designed the module says we're not the the the, the, the lunar module was not designed to, to fly a spaceship; it was designed to land on the moon. And he goes, "No, no, it's okay. I'm not going to hold you responsible." That's all the guy wanted to hear. Responsible. And just as another quick aside, I really liked the uh, air filter meeting downstairs where they dumped the I pile did. of crap on the desk and go, "We got to make this work." And I was like, and even when he comes back and he's so sweaty and you're like, oh, this, this little guy with a receding hairline is sweating so badly. He's really worked. Bald people did a good job on this film between Clint <laughs> yeah. Howard and this guy was well up for that. But I think part of that's just Hollywood. And I think part of that's also, dare I even say, America? Yeah. Where there's a lot of bravado and a lot of ego and a lot of this is, and then what happens if it goes off kilter? You know, you think you are the one who is the right answer. And I think you just, and you're on lack of sleep and it's high stress for all of them as well. Yeah, but these I also think it's Hollywood. Don't get hired it's, into these roles. it's Hollywood trying to create chaos tension. It's absolutely yep. that, no. yeah. It but just okay really annoyed me. All right. Uh, my little grumble would be do I have one? I had one. Now I'm trying to remember what it is. My bone of contention would be, he says, search. Wasn't the scene answer. when they're going from the um, dark side of the moon and then he goes on the moon? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that. There are a couple of things. I just I didn't need the dream. I no. didn't need the fantasy and I didn't need no. the looking back and forth from the moon to the earth, but I definitely need him on the moon. I was just like, the story's gripping enough. I know he wants to be on the moon. If you can't tell me that with his acting, I don't need a, some sort of fantasy flashback, flash forward, whatever it is out of it. Yeah. You had me. Yeah, that and it, been dropped. It, it ripped me from my immersion in the film. Yeah. It didn't make it better. It took me out. Thank you, Liam. That was a good show. Uh, so, a contrary opinion, and I didn't have to do any research for this, uh, at least not extra research, because I found out that when they did a test screening for this, 
um, they, they get they get audiences in and they have them look at the uh, at the uh, at the initial screening to see if there's any changes they can make. What the reaction was, and Ron Howard picked up one card where the guy was furious with it and said, "How soppy Hollywood crap is this that you expect us to believe this buttery sweet ending? There's no way they lived through this." And you just had mm-hmm. to laugh going, the guy had no clue, obviously. It was based on an actual <laughs> historical true story. It's history, yeah. It is history. So I thought that was that was a fun enough contrary opinion. I hope they left like a little contact number on the bottom of the form so they could call him up and be like, dude, really? I, I hope, because Jim Lovell seems like he was up for anything. I hope Jim Lovell called the guy and yeah. said, I have to introduce myself. <laughs> I, I'm able to talk to you because it really happened and we survived. <laughs> Don't go swimming near Tonga. There's plutonium in the water. <laughs> so, Doc Brown had a boat out there. Do, yes, it's, it went 88 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Should we play the age game? <laughs> yeah, let's just let's give it let's give it to a few just so we're not overstaying the welcome. But yeah, you tell me which ones you which people you'd like to do. Uh, the three in the shuttle. Uh, well, let's do the three in the shuttle. Ed Harris. There's only th- there's only two of us playing. So the three in the yeah. shuttle. Ed Harris, Ken Mattingly, and his wife. How's that? Ken yeah. Mattingly is Gary Sneeze, right? Yeah. Yep, uh, that's the name I've written down. And yeah, cool. They're the ones I've written down, so we're all, all right. good. We will rapid fire us. So, Tom Hanks. I think Tom Hanks is 39 in this. I think he's 40. He is 39. Hey! Hey, well no, done. No cheats here. <laughs> Bill Paxton. Uh, I think he looks older than he is. I'm going to say 37. I'm going to say 37. He's 40. Oh. He's dead now. Oh. Is he? Yeah, he passed away a few years ago. I forgot and then rediscovered it and I went, oh, jeez. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's very good in this. Kevin Bacon? Older than you think, I'm going to say. I'm going to go 35. 36. Even older than that, 37. Wow. Because oh. he, he does come off as the snot kid in this, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think a lot of that's the hairstyle, though. Maybe. <laughs> um, Ed Harris. 53. 46. 45. Oh, wow. Good job, you. Man, I guess he looks older than he is. Or maybe yeah. just, I'm too used to seeing him as the man in black. Yeah, that's like what 70. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gary Sinise, Ken. Mm. Hanks is 39. I'm going to say Sinise is 38. Yeah, 37. 40. Really? I would not have had that. Yeah. I would. Okay. So Hanks is the youngest of the original trio. And finally, Kathleen Quinlan. Now, I'm wondering if they aged her up for this or what, which is, you know, it, maybe it's just what we say about Hollywood and they just put unrealistic people together. So maybe when I see someone who's actually sort of whatever, I'll say 43. I'll say 38. She is 41. Okay. So Slightly closer on my part, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think the haircut did her any favors. Okay. I think it, I think it aged her. Okay. I liked her outfits, though. <laughs> did you <laughs> there's something about the late 60s early 70s yeah, yeah we didn't talk about that as a setting that was, that was quite interesting to sort of put ourselves in that world yeah yeah. the cars the outfit the, the music it was yeah I like but it's but for something that's um, a period thing it didn't feel too period still felt quite current because no, once you get up in the air it doesn't really matter I mean that could be any time no. couldn't it it is timeless yeah, that yeah. part yeah 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 so it's time for rankings, Liam. Where do we rank this out of 10? I rank this. Ooh. An 8. An 8. An 8 out of yeah. 10. That's a good ranking. Yeah. That's a good, nice number. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, a half a point more than Fight Club. Only okay. because 
Um, sorry, B. Uh, let's say this again. <laughs> uh, but it's because second time around watching Fight Club, there were so many differences I felt uh, and annoyed me. I love the film, but there's so many differences that I, I found. But with this watching it second time around, I was more invested second time around than I was first time around. Well, I'm going to give it a whole point less than Fight Club, but that's still an eight, so it's okay. a pretty good rating. Okay. <laughs> um, Fight Club, my issue was pacing. I remember that. I said my issue is that the most exciting thing happens, and then we have to wait for 35, 40 minutes. For all the criticism I did about, oh, it's been 15 minutes, let's have something else exciting happen, uh, the, the movie's paced perfectly. I didn't feel it dragged. I didn't get bored. It was two and a half hours long, but I was kind of like, I was okay with it. I'm sitting there going, this, this is fine. It kept me uh, engaged. And in essence, what is a film about three guys stuck in a small area and just watching them react to consoles and like, you know, gauges. I was like, I was fine with it. And it was just enough difference to keep me whatever. So I'm giving this an eight. So it's eight all around. Yeah. Solid. It, it must definitely be an eight out of ten kind of film. So uh, that just leaves us now with what is our next film ever? And our next film ever actually comes from an audience kind of request. Uh, a friend Ooh. of ours, uh, Fiona, who when I would put up, and she always sort of responds, and I put stuff up on my personal social media about about what should we. Uh, what should we watch? Fiona did uh, so that's some amateur theater in the past with, with Liam and myself and George. No, George was in that one with, 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 with Liam and myself. And uh, she reached out and said, have you guys ever thought about doing the Grand Budapest Hotel? Excellent. Have you seen this? Yes. Okay. It's the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is a beautiful film. And I'm not one. Oh, to, I've never seen it. I'm not one to ever go like this movie just looks pretty. But this movie is visually spectacular and it's 2014 i want to say it's wes anderson i could be wrong on that but i think it is wes anderson yeah Uh, and that is what we are doing next time so very different not a popcorn movie this is if you follow any sort of film buffs on instagram and things like this this is a film that keeps getting brought up so thank you fiona for that feedback yeah thank you fiona uh, I, i hope she listens to this if she doesn't i will i will hit her up for some sort of uh some sort of perspective about why she likes it so much. That might be interesting to kind of hear and and uh, and go. What do you think? What, what what's the deal about about um, Grand Budapest Hotel, which I really really like? Maybe we can get a recording of her, or well, at least um, a bit of something her saying of something. I I can always week. extend an invitation and see what she thinks yeah. about that. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, please join us next time, and we hope to have Georgia back for next time. Um, yeah, we missed you, Georgia. We missed you, Georgia. Um, there was nobody to. Uh... I think George would have liked this. Actually, it's got heart. Yeah. George likes stuff with heart. I like. It. Yeah. So uh, please join us next time when we look at the Grand Budapest Hotel. So for best film ever, my name's Ian, and I'm Liam, and I'm Ellie. And when it came time to doing this podcast and doing a good job, we want you to know that failure is not an option. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs> see you next time.